Hey everyone, welcome to another amazing episode of The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Lorp, and this week we're joined by Jim Godoldick, who is a cinematographer and VizFX artist. Jim comes on the show this week to share his passions for his craft as we discuss his origins in skateboarding and how that naturally evolved into his film career. We get a bit meta on some of the more abstract topics and concepts that envelop most creatives, such as time management, focus, purpose, and most importantly, understanding how and why we do the things we do. This episode is brought to you by LearnSquared. LearnSquared is an online art education platform that is founded and powered by industry-leading artists from around the world. The thing that makes LearnSquared unique is our community and the ability to connect directly with those that you admire and learning applicable and usable knowledge by those that are leading the way in their particular professional field. If you're interested in sharpening a particular part in your creative ability or just simply curious to see how others work and problem solve, head over to LearnSquared.com and begin your journey. Here we go, everybody. Episode 150 with Jim Godoldick. Let's roll. Um, I guess we could probably get started where I like to start with almost everybody is just like talking a little bit about, you know, where this all came from, like your passion, you know, like your upbringing, where, where, where did this all kind of start, you know, getting into this industry? Um, I guess for me going, going back to, you know, being, being a kid, um, um, growing up, my mom, uh, was definitely, uh, a big influence on me, you know, um, I think having that in common with you too, I, uh, if I remember some of the podcasts going back was that, uh, um, uh, you know, single mothers and, uh, having yeah. a very strong, uh, female figure, um, uh, in my life, uh, you know, awesome. for, for, uh, for a while it was just, um, my mom and my younger sister, um, until my mom remarried and, you know, my mom was, uh, you know, I, I don't call her hippie, but she was, uh, she was definitely into the arts and kind of letting me and my sister choose our own path. Um, I can definitely say that she was never, um, you know, honest about homework and, and, um, you know, kind of just letting us be kids and, and, you know, if I was out, you know, you know, playing manhunt or tag until, you know, super late at night, it's not like she was always out there like, Hey, you guys got to come in. It's time to do homework or dinner or anything like that. So she was definitely uh, a driving force and, and kind of that freedom, um, to explore and, and kind of that freedom to, um, you know, kind of find your own boundaries. Mm. Um, you know, obviously motherly figure always watching out for us and protecting us, but definitely giving, um, you know, giving me and my sister the freedom to kind of explore the boundaries. And I think that's where, um, you know, drawing early on, uh, was a really big thing for me in comics. Mm, Um, I grew up with a, a comic book store, about a block away from my house and oh, it's bad. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it's still there to, to oh, this really? day too. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's kind of crazy. What, what, it's what a, city is this? Uh, I grew up in New Jersey. So this mm. was, um, this was a town, uh, near Jersey city called Bayonne, uh, which was a port town. Um, it's, it's right across from New York city, uh, right across the Hudson. 
Um, and it was a comic book store called Vector Comics, which as of a couple months ago was still, this was still on Broadway. Um, and I remember begging, uh, the lady who managed the store to even take out the trash to like, just, <laughs> just like hang, hang around the comic book store. No, and, no. you know, it was like, you know, any, any allowance that I got would either go to video games or to comics. And it was normally because they would always get the comics in early before they put them out on the newsstands. I'd always be able to get a peek at like what was going to hit on a Friday or, you know, or a Tuesday or who, what special guest was going to be coming in and signing. So, you know, when I was younger, I didn't know the lineage of all the comic book artists, all, you know, who, um, who were the, the writers versus who were some of the, um, you know, the artists that actually made the comics, but yeah, after a while, I just learned and, you know, it was actually the, um, first time that I had met a female comic book artist mm. and, um, and you, you married know, her. I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that would be funny. She, that would be a pr- pretty big age gap. Um, from, from then till now. Um, yeah, but it was but yeah, totally just, worth it. <laughs> yeah, totally was. But, you know, it's it, it's kind of the same story that I think a lot of uh, creatives say. It's like, yeah, I grew up on Star Wars and I grew up on, you know, E.T. And, and, you know, all these very influential films of like a kid growing up in the eighties would, uh, would kind of turn to and say, but, um, I think, you know, besides comics and besides, you know, being heavily into skateboarding at a young age and, and sticking with it, you know, till this day, um, you know, that passion for kind of wanting to know how things were done, mm-hmm. uh, is always, something that I think is that driving force of, you know, how are comics made? How, how did they make Star Wars and how did they do, you know, all the early practical effects behind, um, you know, all of our favorites from ET to Indiana Jones to, you know, even the stop motion. I was a huge Ray Harryhausen fan as a kid still Mm. on this day, but you know, it's like watching Sinbad and, and kind of like, I just, I didn't get it. I knew those things weren't real. Yeah. And uh, I went to the library and found a book on Ray Harryhausen and found out that he modeled all that stuff out of clay and mm. maquettes. And, you know, I think that was where the bug kind of started. Once you was, start kind of connect the dots, right? Like, oh, these are humans just like me that are doing things that they're passionate about. They're just a little older than me, right? And things yeah, start to connect. That's, that's, that's kind of it. And as a, as a kid, I don't ever think you question that you can't do that. Or I don't, I don't ever think that was, was kind of instilled by my mom was, you know, she never said, Oh, you can't do this. Or you can't do that. So I think, um, that's great. Looking at that at an early age was like, who says I can't yeah. I make a film like Lucas or Spielberg or, or Ray Harryhausen. And you kind of need to have that like 
um, ignorance almost, you know, to the fact that it is really challenging. But if the moment you knew the the odds you're faced against, like it was, you know, you're one in point zero zero five, you know, of a millionth to make a hit movie, you know, like one of those kind of ratios of some sort, then just hearing that would kind of destroy your ambition, but not having that, that knowledge, it helps just kind of be open to the possibilities. And that's really what you need. I think it reminds me also of there's a, John Lasser is talking about in the Pixar story. You ever watched that film, Pixar story? Yeah. Oh, yeah. many times. I love that story. It's so good. But he talks about like the moment he found a, a book in the library, like learn how to draw cartoons or whatever. And mm-hmm. he's like, whoa, like you could, because he, he loved cartoons. He's like, whoa, you could, you know, draw cartoons, and get paid for it to do cartoons. He, he didn't know that existed before. And the moment he figured that out, he was like, oh, well, this is what I want to do. You know, like that's a great moment too. I, yeah, definitely. Those, those, uh, funny, those, those art books are, um, I remember we used to have book fairs and in, in grade school, I would always buy the, how to draw comics or how to draw like the Warner brothers. And, uh, you know, I couldn't draw that great, uh, back then. I don't, I don't say that I'm <laughs> a, a really good, uh, sketch artist or anything today, but, um, you know, I would, I would trace a lot. And, and I think that helped kind of get down, you know, some of the, uh, you know, the early drawing skills, I guess, you know, my mom did pass down, um, to us, her, her sketching skills and her artistic and, and kind of like that love for, for paint and for music. Cause, um, she, she painted, um, you know, a lot of watercolor stuff. And she sketched these really, really good, um, pictures of my sister and I, when we were probably about two years old. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm older than my sister by about a year and a half. So, you know, seeing those pictures on the wall and knowing that those were my mom's work, um, I think was like that environment was, uh, was always, it was always nurtured and, um, in the drawing and it's like she would always do our makeup for Halloween. So it was like, you know, very artistic flowing back and forth. Yeah. That's awesome. And you kind of need that synergy kind of working and that gives you like a good dynamic in the household too. Like, because my mom is a really good artist and she would draw all the time. And I think that also helps to demystify that the fact that like, Oh, like my mom could do it. I could do it. Or if my brother can do it, I can do it. Or my brother was really great too. I mean, they all, they still do uh, art, in different ways. Uh, and my grandma and my grandpa, my grandpa, my, my grandpa and great grandpa, um, great grandpa is like a really great craftsman, really good, like built his own houses and like crazy, yeah. like carbonage. Like I remember this really beautiful table, like end table that my, uh, grandma like coveted. She was like this beautiful thing. It was like, all like inlaid, beautiful, like craft, like all just handmade stuff, you know? Um, and yeah, you just, I think as an early age, you just see that stuff and you realize like how important the craft is and how important art is and how tangible it is. If you, you know, you look at it with the right lens, I think it really helps, you know, which I think is awesome, you know, because it yeah. helps you see like the reality of things, you know? Yeah. I think having that, that, um, kind of family ecosystem where, you know, it was for, for a long time, it was just my mom and my sister, um, and I, and then having my grandparents who are huge, uh, influence on, on myself and my sister as well. And my mom was, uh, 
you know, my grandfather was that, that engineer, that, that tinkerer, like mm. always going downstairs into the basement into his workshop was always like the coolest thing for me to just hang out there. Cool. And even if he gave me a piece of wood, a hammer and a nail, I yeah. would have been like the happiest person <laughs> just to do that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, where did you grow up? Um, I grew up on the East coast. I grew up in, I grew up in New Jersey. That's right, um, you said that, yeah. And nothing's yeah, changed so, or anything. So no, you stayed um, in Jersey for a while. Yeah. Stayed in Jersey for a while. Um, moved kind of from the city life more into the suburban life in, in high school. Mm. Um, but I mean, I grew up, I grew up just kind of skating around, um, the city. I mean, Bayonne is almost, it's only like a three mile by three mile city. Mm. Um, and then you've got Jersey city and Hoboken right on the sides of it. And then right across the water, you have New York city. So, you know, as I, as I got older, um, you know, I started skating when I was about 10, 11 years old. Who got you and, skating friends or family members? Uh, just friends in the neighborhood. And funny enough, I learned to skate from a girl, oh, that's um, awesome. which is, it was just kind of cool. Um, you know, she, um, you know, she skated in the neighborhood. She like skated, she surfed, um, and you know, I guess kind of tomboyish, but there was a, a group of kids in the neighborhood. Um, and you know, this is all like bones brigade and vision and, and psycho sticks and you know, the, the whole bones brigade team days, yeah. um, of like the late eighties, early nineties. So it was like on fire. If, yeah. yeah. If, if one person had, you know, uh, you know, Bones Brigade video show or, or, you know, ban this or something like that. It would be like the communal, go to somebody's house, watch it and then get psyched and, and go skate around the city. Um, but being that New York city was so close, it's like, you know, when I got old enough, you know, to basically sneak on the buses and then take the path over to New York city, I was sneaking over to skate the Brooklyn banks, like, mm probably younger than I should have. But, um, but <laughs> I think that's when you should thing. be doing it though. <laughs> yeah. And my mom, my mom worked, um, at the world trade center. Um, so I always knew where she was. And since I really kind of stuck to downtown, hmm. um, when I first started going to New York city, I was like, Oh, well, if anything ever happens, I always know I can skate over <laughs> to world trade and, and take the elevator up to, to my mom's office building. So it wasn't, uh, wasn't too scary, but you know, the, the banks have a, uh, a history of being, especially, you know, at that time being pretty rough between the, the bums that lived under the bridge and just, you know, older guys that would, you know, rob you for your board or your shoes or, <laughs> your money, whatever it is, especially if you weren't, if, if you weren't a local that they knew, yeah. sometimes even if they knew you, they would take your stuff anyway. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, it was always, you know, it's the, that kind of, yeah, the growing up, you kind of learn who to, who to, who to, who's kind of safe, who to gravitate towards, what, what areas were sketchy or not sketchy. Um, and you know, it just, it was really about skateboarding, about community, you know, yeah, it's it like, is, yeah that's the whole, I think the whole thing of like anything related to a lot of the, uh, things that are deemed like subculture or punk, um, or, you know, between artists and skateboarders and, and, and a lot of the, um, 
you know, things that are seen as subculture or alternative culture, um, always have that bigger thing is like a lot of it was a lot of friends, um, also had single mothers or they had stepdads or, you know, so like a lot of the stories, um, in the community was the same. So you could relate to, you know, to each other. And, and that's a big thing with skateboarding that I've found, you know, over the years is, um, a lot of the same stories, you know, the uh, similar upbringings and, uh, in, uh, why people gravitate towards the arts and towards, you know, some of the subcultures is, you know, looking, you know, looking to make those connections with, with people that have similar backgrounds. Yeah. It's all like, um, similar passions, you know, and, um, having those passions, they are kind of like, I think passion is a blind thing. It's like it, it, it finds you randomly or, and it doesn't matter what it is. It's just whatever you're focused on, you know, and hopefully it's a good thing, you know, like focused on a good passion. So something that yeah, doesn't most, harm other people and does well by other people and can propel the species in some po- sort of positive way, you know, you would hope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing I think with passion it's very blinding though. It's like, um, some people, um, like I know people are passionate about money, making money, you know, it's like, well, I guess that's good. It depends on like how far you want to go with it though, you know? So, but that's a whole different topic. But then I have friends that are passionate about just like helping other people and wanting to do right by their fellow man or whatever, or like people that are like myself or yourself, they just want to like tell a story or share something that they, they enjoy or share another vantage point into the look of their world, you know? So what you think is in, is important. You mentioned something I thought was interesting and kind of gave me some flashbacks too. You have kids, right? You have oh two? yeah. Yeah. I've got three, three kids. And how old are your kids? Um, my oldest son, uh, Gavin just turned 12 on the 18th. Right. And then I have a six year old daughter and a 20 month old son. Oh, okay. Wow. Such a scale. Yeah. yeah five, five year gaps wow. between the kids. You're just like, well, let's just restart. Let's hit the rebut start button. <laughs> oh, and it is a restart, yeah, you know, from, every time. <laughs> from my daughter to, uh, to our youngest sage, it was like, wait, so much has changed in five years, like yeah. diapers and, and, and choices of, of this and that. So it was like, Hey, I you know, we hadn't, needed to see a pediatrician so much and in, in the amount of years and it's like going back and it's a whirlwind of uh things that have changed both technology wise and and uh you know i think as parents as you know in in the gap from our oldest to the youngest is um definitely the education into being a parent and taking care of a, of a child, like not only from the responsibility side, but it's just the things you learn as a parent. And I see it for new parents or, or people that don't have multiple children. And, you know, if a lot of friends say to look at me, I look like I'm, you know, I could still pass for, you know, late twenties, early thirties. And I always say that's because the skateboarding, it keeps me young. But, uh, <laughs> But, you know, people are like, wait, you look like a baby. How do you have three kids? And it's like, well, you know, I just am lucky, I guess, I'm, but I'm 38. <laughs> and, um, you know, when I see uh, friends who are older than me, who are about to have 
kids for the first time. And I feel like this old sage, like, oh, you know, make sure... And make sure you do this and, and research this and look into this. And it's like, man, I'm like, I feel like I'm showing my age here by sure. trying well, to give advice to experience, to you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's, a, that's the it's biggest a big thing lesson. to give experience. Like it's a big thing to kind of want to give experience on because it's such a life changing event, you know? So yeah. And yeah. you want to be careful about talking about upbringing and kids because it's like oh, yeah. you know you, you as a parent you're a parent yourself so uh, you know it, the ever-evolving question that i think every parent asks is like am i doing a good job you yeah. know i ask that all, of myself all the time and it's um it's it is a check-in you know oh yeah it's 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 definitely the most humbling um experience um but also the scariest because you don't know what decision that you make throughout the period of this human's life that you're affecting on a day by day basis. And, and, um, you know, you're, you hope that you're doing right by them to, you know, kind of give them the same freedoms that we were. I definitely can say that, you know, as a parent, you're, you're, you're overprotective in a good way of that. Like you don't want them to experience the same things that you did that did happen to you negatively. Yeah. So it has this thing of like, wait, am I being overbearing? Am I, you know, it's, it's a, it's a delicate balance of like, let them go. Remember, you know, trying to remember what my mom let us do, but don't let them go wild <laughs> type yeah. of thing. Well, that's what I was getting into. Cause, um, um, you know, my childhood, single mom, my mom worked all the time. I was a latchkey kid, self-dependent. I was self-independent uh, pretty early, pretty young, moved out very young too. Um, but I mean, I was getting in all kinds of mischief all the time because it's kind of what I did, you know, as a kid. Um, and you mentioned like how you went off to New York and did like some, you know, crazy adventures and being parents now, like my daughter's 11, she's completely sheltered like mm-hmm. through and through um i don't know if it's because i'm just uber protective or what but it's um it's a completely different life like than my childhood than mine but i also grew up all over the place in different ways and just like in more much more poverty stricken kind of places so you kind of you know things kind of take you on a whim you know the people you oh, meet yeah. in those kind of like and, and challenge you know, people that are raised underneath challenging households where their moms and dads fight or their dad's an alcoholic or um, whatever. And they have all that strife and that energy and it's got to get out somewhere. I didn't skate. I have horrible, um, like I have horrible skating ability. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> I, maybe I just wasn't taught right. Uh, maybe it would be okay if I had somebody teaching me, but I did ride bikes and that was like, that was my thing. I rode bikes like crazy. We do like jumps and, Oh, yeah. um, right, you know, grinding and jumping off stairs and all kinds of stupid stuff all the time, just being silly. And then I got into flatland eventually because I was tired of like hurting myself. And then I stopped because I was like, oh, okay, I got a car and other things started happening, getting in the of way course. of that, you know? So, of course. Yeah, that you should kind of shed that. Uh, but obviously, you still keep it into it, you know, keep into it. But yeah, I don't know, like for you, like the difference and the change in our childhoods, when we talk about like, Star Wars in the eighties and and being influenced by all these seminal things. But then when I look at my daughter, she's like, you know, she watches like a lot of YouTube and, um, 
like I don't even know what like popular music is now. I I just kind of close my mind off to a lot of that stuff. Unfortunately, I just have like what I like and I just stick to it. I guess that's probably pretty sad, but <laughs> uh, I mean, I listen to a lot of new music, but um, it's just, I don't like popular. I never have like popular, I guess maybe I went as a kid. I probably did. But, um, but anyways, what I'm getting at here is like, it's just being a parent from that era and then raising our kids here. And like, for you, what's that big difference? You know, do you, do, are you very, like, um, are you protective and stuff or uh, how does it work for you? I, I think I am, but in, in a way where I, I mean, I had those freedoms and those liberties of, you know, my mom kind of saying to us, get, you know, kind of get out there. It was, it was never, um, her kind of being overbearing on us. Um, I, I think as a parent, I, I, I do it just, just for protection where, yeah. you know, my, my son's been on a skateboard since he, he was a baby, you know, but putting him on a board, me skating around with him, you know, I have all, you know, footage of all this from, uh, from 12 years ago. Um, but I don't, um, I don't kind of pass, I try not to pass those on to, to the kids where, you know, if my, my daughter, is super into, into skateboarding too. And she asked, uh, for her own board and her own setup because she always saw that, uh, my son and I were always going skateboarding or we were going snowboarding. So, you know, I'm not going to limit her because of a stigma that, Oh, girls shouldn't skate or girls yeah, shouldn't be, not. you know, anything like that. Because it, you know, if, if, some some things that happen to I, I think to kids or even to us as adults if somebody says no you can't do that then you start to question yourself yeah. um and or i you, think everybody do, has it the other way you're just like oh yeah <laughs> and you, yeah and it or turns you, you out turns you up yeah exactly yeah to, to, and i could and you can see the uh probably a little bit of the rebelliousness uh, growing in my preteen but that's probably just a, a, a typical preteen thing. Yeah. But um, no, the the sheltered the sheltered thing is. I mean, yeah, I'm really protective, and and even when it comes down to like babysitters, mm -hmm. um, it's like, wait, I'm gonna trust you with my kid. I, I need to know you first. It's like you know, I would never use like a a babysitting service or anything Craigslist, like that. Craigslist babysitters? Yeah, of <laughs> no, of course not. Yeah, and it's just. I think it's a thing of, of, uh, you know, uh, inherent parent nature of, you know, you don't want to baby them too much and you want them to be independent. And sometimes maybe that comes off differently to, to, you know, to different people. Maybe even your spouse is like, Oh, you're being too hard on them or, or maybe you're being too lenient, but it's like, I, I really think it's just, it's a learning thing. It, yeah, it's, it's a matter of finding, finding that, you know, relationship with your, your, your kid is, um, it's definitely not easy. I've definitely, my son is like me and we butt heads all the time <laughs> yeah. and my I'm stubborn. Like too. Yeah. yeah. I'm stubborn. He's stubborn. <laughs> um, you know, and when, you, when you meet yourself, you're like, I don't like myself. Too much, too much of myself right now. And you're a small version of me. <laughs> that's pretty much, yeah, that's pretty much what he is. It's, um, 
it's, it's the same things. And I can see that, like I can see myself in, in, in my son and hmm. my oldest and, you know, my mom and my sister will be like, he's just like you. And I'm like, I don't remember being like that. <laughs> well, of course you but don't. I guess, Your perspective yeah, and lens is completely shifted. Oh, yeah. It, it is a distorted lens. Yeah. That is for sure. <laughs> it's definitely for sure. It's probably a pretty good segue, actually, to talk about, like, your relationship with as you develop and grow. Probably a good segue to talk about what you do for a living, your passion and cinematography and camera work and stuff. Cause I, from my experience with camera work and all that kind of stuff is it's, it's a, it's an ev evolution of the lens. Like not, not for me personally, it's like, it's, it's how you evolve, how you see, you know, and how you capture what you see and how you use that to do whatever it is that you're trying to do, which is whether it's telling a story or conveying something for a product or whatever it might be. Yeah. So, so how is that? When did this all start from you? When did you like, so you started off with the comics and all that stuff like me. And then you were like, ah, oh, crap, I can't cut it. Is that yeah. what happened? And you're like, shit, what I'm going to do now? You know, well, how did that work? How did that, how do you make that transition into, did you go to school for it? Um, nah. That's usually like the hundred percent common question. Did you go to school for art? It's like, um, definitely didn't go to school for, for art. Um, I chased the dream of trying to turn pro uh, for skateboarding, mm. and I got to a good enough level. I, you know, I, I got sponsored. I was traveling around the world, um, and I was good, you know. But I could also see at a certain point that I probably wasn't going to turn pro like some of the people that I looked to. It's like, sure, I entered a couple pro contests and and I did that first, you know, skateboarding and snowboarding. Um, but I always had a camera on me. And I I didn't use the camera as like a DP or cinematographer at all back then. These were like, you know, we're talking like high eights and like early, early the camera you had in your bag when you you'd like travel around. Sure. And a, a, a great camera because it's one that you, you use. Exactly. It's and a it was, purposeful camera, not a fancy one that you kind of pull off the shelf every year or so. Yeah. It was like, I mean, my the first camera I ever used that was, um, uh, it was the Pixel 2000, which was the cassette tape based um, camera. And it was my friend Jesse's. And we would just film each other skating at um, this, uh, you know, just all around and especially at this one schoolyard um, in Midtown and we would bring out jump ramps and we would just, you know, half the time I'd be the one that was, that was filming with it. But, um, the cool thing was always like filming. You never, you never knew like how it was going to turn out. And then you'd rush back at the, you know, when it was dinner time and just like a, you know, NES, you would, you would plug it in into the back, unplug your Nintendo, plug in the uh, little Pixel 2000 and play back the tape because mm -hmm. there's no, there's no edited. This was just raw clips with a mm -hmm. bunch of static in it. And, um, it was really cool. And I think around that time, that's when I was like kind of catching the bug of like, Oh, cameras are cool. And, you know, we didn't at home, we didn't have like, we couldn't afford, uh, you know, a video camera. So yeah. it was always like funny friends. too, like how expensive those were back then and how huge they were too. Like this massive yeah. piece of machinery. 
<laughs> like most of them were those old like RCA or Panasonic yeah. shoulder, you know, shoulder mounted. Yeah. Yeah. The soccer dad ones that soccer had like dad. the, the zoom rocker on, on the <laughs> near the shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that, it is definitely i always attribute i think a lot of the stuff that i'm into today to mm. to skateboarding um it was a huge impact and still is a huge impact on my on my life and from a career wise it wasn't until years later um when i was a teenager uh, towards you know latter half of my teens where um you know i would go to contests and if i didn't qualify or if it was runs, like cameras were always being passed around. Oh, can you film my run? Or can you film my run if it's a contest? Or hey, let's just go out and and try to film some lines because you're always trying to make a sponsor me tape. Yeah. And you know, you always went to the kid who had the camera. You know, it'd be like, you know, and that's the kind of in skateboarding. You don't technically call anybody a, a DP or a cinematographer. They they just be like, who's the filmer? Yeah, you know, filmer, yeah. it's like, exactly. their film. yeah, I used to do yeah. it with the bikes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the same, it's the same kind of ecosystem. It was like, you meet down at the park and you had a friend that like did, you know, freestyle BMX. Then, um, you had everybody else who was skating. So that whole kind of bike and skate scene was, it was always melded together because everybody yeah. pretty much had a BMX bike that skated too. Yeah. There was like a nice strong, I mean, I grew up in Santa, Southern California, so it's like when where skateboarding was basically made. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. Everybody yeah. on bikes or, or skateboards hit the same. There a, yeah. There was a divide though. They, the skate guys would hate when the bikes would kind of come into the skate park. And yeah. Just take Cause over you don't want to, you don't want a bike to grind, uh, you know, especially if it was pegs or anything like that. Sure. If yeah. It's, uh, Smashing yeah. up the ride or the pipes or the coping or whatever. Yeah. Or exactly. taking all the wax off the coping and stuff. So <laughs> yeah. there was always like a strong divide. I always remember and like, ah, screw you, man. You know, like the this... real strong divide was rollerbladers. I oh, mean, the yeah. The fruit boots and, and skaters. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. Bikers and skaters would at least come to the side of like, you know, <laughs> like yelling at uh, the fruit booters that would wax the shit out of a ledge and then <laughs> bust your ass because there is about a pound of wax on it. Uh, <laughs> There, I think it's because most uh, people that owned a skateboard had a bike too that they would use to get around sometimes. Oh, yeah. I guess I think it's yeah. like a bicycle is, and also bicycle has been around for so long. And then I think with the rollerblades, it's fairly new, especially like the inline ones too. Um, but like, yeah, I don't know. It's so funny. The different divides and like, oh, you know, like the names that come up with it and everything is so funny. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, um, it's tribes, it's like little tribes, you know, little cultural divides of tribes yeah yeah for sure. yeah. yeah but that whole that whole kind of skate scene and in and kind of you know the sponsor me tapes and trying to emulate what we saw on uh the videos that we would buy from the from the skate shop um yeah you know i think that was this the sparking of it because you'd get a little bit of, of of like how did how did they make these videos um with, uh, you know, some of the outtakes in the, in the, in the skate videos. But, um, you know, when the, when it got later and I, you know, was kind of doing it more on a competition and traveling and trying to do the pro thing, um, you know, I just started filming. So I had, I started accumulating all of these, uh, tapes over the years and, and, you know, getting better. It's like knowing how to track a person, 
um, skating and snowboarding is totally different from like how you would like set up a scene. It's not something you can just go out and like, you know, you probably could get any of the top 10 DPs that are out there today. And they'd be like, uh, you're going to go film some skaters and, and some snowboarders and some motocross guys today is like, they probably couldn't do it off the bat. It, it is, uh, it, it is a unique, um, way of capturing uh, a session or a trick or something like that. And there's definitely a certain look to um, skate videos over the years, how they've progressed. And I think that influence um, early on of like obviously watching, um, you know, Stacy Peralta because Stacy Peralta was not only a pro skater, but he was the one doing all of the uh, Powell Perota videos. Um, and obviously you see where he is in his career today of doing, you know, feature documentaries and commercials and, and all this other stuff too, of, um, coming from skateboarding and that progression, uh, you can see in a lot of people you've got, you know, Spike Jones is probably the most famous skate and BMX photographer that had evolved his career from, BMX to skateboarding to music videos to feature films and yeah. you know and and doing that um I didn't start off thinking like oh I'm going to be um you know this or that I didn't even think I was going to be a you know like a filmer or, or or being behind the camera all the time it just kind of progressed and then um I submitted the footage to um a video magazine which was really popular called 411 and that was like the quintessential video magazine for skateboarding and uh chris ortiz and my friend josh friedberg um and a, a, a couple others you know started Forum one and this was a you know total southern california um based system and it was all skaters um, you know, skate photographers, skate filmers, uh, people just filming friends. And then, you know, I happened to film a contest that I didn't, you know, wind up qualifying for and, um, submitted the footage and they liked the footage and I wound up getting a paycheck. And that was the first time I had ever gotten paid to do something creative like that. Mm. And I think that was really Do you remember when, the job you were doing at that time. It, it, yeah, I was, I, I didn't have a job. I was basically s traveling around skateboarding and snowboarding at that time. And it's like living on couches and stuff. Yeah. Like living on getting helped out by my mom. And, um, and what age is this? Uh, I was going to say 37. I'm joking. <laughs> like what the hell? Um, I want to say like 19. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I had little like odd jobs and, and, uh, you know, working at, uh, like working at summer camps in the summer, you know, whatever it was to, uh, to, to get it going. I, I worked at a skate shop for, for a little bit too. And, um, it was just always chasing that, that dream of like, wanting to turn pro but like getting that actual paycheck from forum one was like 
holy shit, I can make, I can make money filming or I can make money doing what the guys I looked up to were doing. Um, and I wound up getting in a really bad car accident mm. and that kind of totally took me down a few notches of like really trying to pursue, um, you know, turning pro for, for skating and snowboarding. And it was, it was part like a psyche thing in the brain. Um, it just, it, I don't know. It, it kind of intimidated me in almost not feeling like I would be able to, to do stuff at the same level. Um, and also like I, I shielded it because, um, because of the, uh, the where like I basically shattered the left side of my body. So like all oh. upper body. Um, and they had told me like, Hey, you know, a, a fingernail more and it could have severed your, your spine. Wow. So, um, Jeez, man. trying to come back from that. It was like, a t it was probably more in my mind than it was physical for at least for a while. Mm. Um, so, I started that whole time that I was like laid up, uh, you know, I couldn't skate, I couldn't snowboard. I really couldn't, I was just recuperating. Um, I, one of my best friends, Ronnie, um, got me a, uh, skate video that was like, you know, back then when videos released on VHS and, and DVD, um, they were, you know, really big, uh, productions and they, they took years to, to, to make. Um, but there was a, there is a video that came out, uh, from audio shoes, um, by audio. Yeah. 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 And it was swirly a logo. Yeah. It was, it was huge. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was a video called one step beyond. It was by another, um, filmmaker and uh, skate filmer, Josh Stewart. And the, crazy thing about it was everybody's intros, um, were like heavily done in, in motion graphics. Mm. And, um, at that time, you know, I didn't really, I, I kind of knew it was like, Oh yeah, this, you know, it's animated and all that. Um, but that video got me to teach myself like Photoshop and, um, start to learn about the other side of the camera a little bit more too with like editing and kind of get really psyched in motion graphics. Cause I was like, how did they, how did they do, you know, how did they do this? And, um, you know, uh, I found out later that it was the guys from Shiloh that oh, had yeah. done, done Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, Jose and being that, yeah, Jose and Andre, um, Andre, yeah. I think, uh, did they start audio? Is it audio that they started together? No. Cause they, well, Jose started, they, they yeah, started cause Jose was together. involved in skateboarding early on. And, um, you know, he had like intertwined with planet earth. Um, but, uh, you know, again, more skaters doing, you know, creative, creative things outside of skateboarding. Yeah. Involving um, past like people that didn't necessarily turn pro or didn't die from drugs or get hurt. Ended up exactly. going and off and pursuing the art. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it was that it was one step beyond that, um, really got me psyched on, 
uh, like what's what is motion graphics and mm. and um, finding out more about it. So like that downtime that I was hurt, I got a computer. Um, I was like learning Photoshop and and um, had a crappy compact with like a Canopus card to like edit edit video. So I was like learning how to put the pieces together. Um, you know of all the all this footage that I shot over the years. Um, but then, you know, learning more about motion graphics and, and kind of taking that next step was, uh, was I think another kickoff into, you know, not only the, the cinematography bug, if you will, or the filmer bug, yeah. but, uh, but like, you know, having that interest in the, the technical, as well as the creative and wanting to mix both worlds of like, well, I can grab a camera and go shoot this stuff myself and I can bring it back and edit it and be able to do graphics. And when I was learning, I sucked. I mean, just like everybody sure, does. You will start. It's like, yeah. I probably used every cheesy wipe and, and <laughs> font that was, that was in there. Um, but you know, then, I just started researching, you know, cause it's like still the internet wasn't, wasn't what it was back then what it is today. So, you know, this is, you know, this is probably still AOL days. So you're yeah. still in chat rooms and stuff like that, but you know, you can find out, um, about graphics and things like that back then. So it was, you know, back to your question too. It's like, I never went to school for that stuff. So, you know, it was kind of like, as much as the internet would allow me. And then also, um, you know, I had a couple friends that were going to design school. So I would ask them, I had friends that were going to Parsons and SVA in, in the city. And it was like, I didn't go to college design college for that reason. I wound up going to college for a year, but it was basically because I got, uh, a free ride based off of some art that I had done, which mm. was nothing computer generated. And it was all like, you know, a mix of, of different styles, like graphic arts, like silk screening and, and, um, and, and drawings and stuff like that. Fundamentals, but, though, good fundamentals. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I wanted to go to a school like SVA or Parsons. It was like, um, a, I didn't have a portfolio and B, I couldn't afford it. So it was like, Hey, there's this school in Vermont that'll, uh, let me go there. And when I got there, um, on, um, I guess, uh, not to the liking of my grandparents and, and, and my mom, you know, I pretty much didn't go to class and just snowboarded day, <laughs> day after day and skateboarded. Snowboarding so fun. Yeah. And, and it was fun. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think those, those kind of, you know, marker points in my life started leading to these interests. And, and at that time, you know, kind of getting, getting, you know, a little bit of pain. Cause it's like the, the forum one thing was funny because it's like, I got that first check for submitting, uh, you know, footage. And then another check just showed up because they went up selling, my footage to Activision for, um, a Sean Palmer pro snowboarder, um, video game. And they used a bunch of the video assets in the intro of the, of the game. Um, 
so it was funny. I, it's uh, rad. It just shows up in my, uh, you know at my mom's house, and there's a check with the video game in it, and like like a little uh, little nice package to come home to. That's awesome. Uh, so yeah, it's like you know I think I had those little integral steps throughout um, the career without really knowing what was coming down the road. Sure, and just kind of, it's a passion just kind of, though, right? Yeah, just kind of going with it, but but um, always having that passion to want to learn more, um, really kind of dig into how does this stuff work, and yeah. I think that's that's something I'm probably even more um, adamant about today is like with all the cameras that I use, with all the software I think that all of us use, is it, it really goes back to like. You don't need access of it. You just need to know what you're using backwards and forwards. And and sometimes on the high end sets is like a a cinematographer or a DP um, or a technical director or VFX super whatever it is. I've I've learned over the years that they don't have to have all the answers. They do have to be good at what they do. You know, DP cinematographer. Um, you know, needs to light the set. They need they need to 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 be really good at lighting, understanding um, lens choices and all that. But when it comes to the cameras of today, you know, a DP, um, you know, may not know the Red Epic he's using or know the Phantom or the Alexa or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that to to the extent that maybe the AC or the DIT or yeah you know, somebody else on set. So it's like, yeah, it's, and sometimes that gets in the way these days. Yeah, I think so. I like to just grab my stuff and go and take the pictures that I want. So, but I'm, I don't know, a little bit more hands-on. Yeah. Well, I think it's to that point of, um, my, my belief system is for me, and this could totally change for every other, um, person out there. It's just that, is that um, I want to know the ins and outs of everything I use. If if I'm going to use Houdini or Touch Designer or or After Effects or Cinema 4D, I, I don't have to know it as good as the guys at Maxon or as good as the guys at Side Effects, but I need to know enough to be able to get out what's in my head. And yeah, that's so tough. <laughs> yeah, it to- yeah, believe me, with with tools like, you know, with Houdini, it's like, you know, I um I saw that the uh Learn Squared, you guys just dropped the procedural foundations uh from Adam and I was like, Oh, that that's probably gonna have to be my next course because Houdini <laughs> is it is an awesome tool, but it is hard. Yeah. It it's well hard. I think it's a certain type of mindset that you have to have like I started learning uh, ZBrush after it took just so long to to really like be fully committed to the idea of learning it because I had to unprogram the way my mind works in a lot of ways, um, which is very difficult. You know, I think some people pick it up quickly, but if you've been using Photoshop or After Effects or any of these programs for years, like most of us that transition <laughs> to these programs, we're used to these habitual like things, the way that Adobe's programmed and set up their programs, but. ZBrush is like, hey, you know all those rules and, th- and habituals that you do? And this has nothing to do with it. It's like yeah. completely new language. It's almost like the analogy I've come to find is it's like an, uh, learning a language that's 
a new language that's about constructing a language. <laughs> it's yeah, like, but and yeah. what's the best way to learn a language but to throw yourself into that exactly. environment? Exactly. And that's and be okay with like just really being an idiot. Butchering yeah. the language. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you but talk about sorry, go ahead, go ahead. But that, I think that's the thing is like, you know, Houdini and touch designer um, are really intimidating at first. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's just that those little clicks, like you, 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 you get a win every day that you're in it. You, you watch a tutorial, you, you try something new, you just, you fiddle with, you know, blend layers and you, you fiddle with, you know, different procedural things. It's like, the best way that I've learned even from like after effects or, or nuke or back in the day with shake was like, I just tried everything in the menus and I'm like, Oh, if I turn this on and do this and blend this and invert this, this is what it looks like. And yeah. I think, and that's what the manuals are there for. I mean, yeah, I, I never uh, go through manuals. And then my friend Vitaly was like, Oh, you never read the manuals. He's like, I read the manuals of all the programs. He's like, wow, what? And I was like, no wonder you're so good. Cause you have that crazy discipline. <laughs> I just kind of go like, I'm going to freestyle and just like, and I get so frustrated, you know, so quickly. Cause I, and I haven't put the time in to be serious about the learning of it and that's my fault you know like for not i know bite bite size youtube tutorials or bite size vimeo or or even even though the other ones was like um you know when a lot of the tutorial sites popped up over the years um you know with the, with all the stuff you know from like cg society and and um you know fx phd and and all these the different ones that have that have been around, it was like the coming across when you guys started uh, Learn Squared was cool because it was a, I think it was a different approach of the the artists that you guys were were getting together, mm. uh, and I think the the one that was like up in the air for me, it was really tough. I was like, shit, do I take Ash's course first or do I, do I take Michael's? And I, actually, yeah, yeah. I took Michael's first. Yeah. The, that's a great for class, production. Yeah. And, and I haven't finished it yet just because work has been so crazy over the past few months, but, uh, they're intense commitments too. Like, no, but they're, but they're even, even if you go back to them and, and it's kind of like this whole education thing is like, I find I have a deeper appetite now, even more so when I was younger, because I guess maybe it's just a, it's a learning as you, you know, as you grow older, um, is, is like education is probably one of the biggest passions of like just wanting to learn about things and whether that is like art related, software related, camera related. I, I just always it's, it's like this appetite that just never gets filled of always wanting to learn more. Um, and, and it becomes like a bit of an, a, like an OCD or obsession thing of like, do I, you know, with a family and, you know, how do you do the work-life balance? What is, um, it's a really tough thing. And, you know, I'm sure you probably are too, but I think a lot of us are, are night owls, you know, with, especially with kids is like, um, I could easily be working until, you know, four o'clock in the morning and not, not even phase me. Yeah. It phases me when I have to get up at, you know, like, you know, um, just before seven and, and take the kids to school. But, um, it's, it's almost like the, 
that appetite is just like it is and it could be a bad thing in a way too of like the whole work-life balance of like knowing when to disconnect and having listened to a bunch of of the podcasts uh over time is like that's been a constant theme um that i think you have talked with a bunch of other other artists in different disciplines yeah so um not not even if they have families or not, because obviously some of the some of the people that you've talked to um, don't have don't have kids, don't have families yet. Um, it's it's probably the single toughest thing to do. Like Houdini doesn't hold a cake to figuring the work life balance. <laughs> yeah, the work life balance is so dynamic. The podcast is so oftentimes is just like self therapeutic, you know, like bringing people on, trying to understand the dynamics of how things work and how other people work and sharing that knowledge with others. I mean, that's kind of like the evolution of how Learn Squared works as well. It's like just sharing other perspectives and viewpoints on passion and focus and, you know, direction and, and uh, dedication and all these different things. But yeah, the work-life balance is very difficult. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, don't, I don't have a grasp on it. When my passion runs, it's like when I'm curious, and I'm really driven to learn something, it's like... Pfft, uh, the sun will come up and I'll be like, ah, crap, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. And then yeah, I have it's... to get up and do something the, the next day or get like three hours of sleep and I'm just like a zombie. Um, I still haven't figured that out because I, I don't know. I think a lot of it for me, it's like when you're, when the fe- when the fire is like flaming hot, it's like, mm-hmm. I don't even want to put that out. I'll just let that thing go, you know? So, yeah. And I think <laughs> that happens to, to me, uh, late at night is like throw the headphones on when the kids are sleeping and just like get in a zone with music because yeah. that's his music is definitely a huge driving driving force it's like what kind of music it, are you it, into right now um that's i was just listening to right before we jumped on the podcast i was listening to uh, a mix and it was a mix going through of like uh, huge eighties nuts. So I was listening to the cars mm, cool. <laughs> and then right after that was explosions in the sky. Uh, so nice. yeah. it kind of flip in the mix and, um, you know, everything from like going back to the old, the old kind of eighties stuff. And, you know, still obviously still listen to some, some fun punk stuff, but then, you know, ambience, ambient to, um, just kind of music that you can, you know, anything from like Mogwai to explosions in the sky to, um, spiritualized, um, and, you know, uh, album leaf, um, and then yeah, just trying like to M83 speaking of, of, uh, of skate huge. videos, yeah, that like, a what was a like a f- film, the spike Jones one, I think the it's called fully flared or yeah, something. Yeah. It had fully flared. Yeah. And, fully flared, and, yeah. So it's yeah. so rad. You gotta love that one. Such a it was fun. Iconic. It, it was fun to because I worked on the 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 last film um, through my friend Ty Evans, who um, you know directed and has been involved with with Spike and and the guys at Girl and and Lakai for for a long time. He's he's since moved on a few years ago, but. Um, that was like a childhood dream, almost like if if any of us got to go work on a project with uh, with our with our other heroes, it was like from the skate side, being able to go like hop fences and work on uh, a skate film of that magnitude was like, you know, I didn't get paid for working on that. I didn't care. I just it was like 
hopping fences, hanging out with Spike Jones and Mike Carroll and Rick Howard and Ty and and pretty much a good part of the the team between Lakai and and um, is this and pretty Gilles. sweet. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, pretty sweet. And um, you know, I would. Uh, I wasn't on the entire production with them. I got to go out a bunch because, you know, at that time we were living in Santa Monica and, uh, you know, hanging out with Ty and just being like, hey, I can come help film. And um, also, you know, because of of my visual effects and motion graphics background, um, Ty was like, yeah, we we got these crazy ideas for for these intros for everybody. And you know, between me and a couple of the other guys, um, uh, another longtime collaborator, um, guy that I looked up to is Johannes Gamble. And, um, he was kind of like the, as say the creative tinkerer for, uh, a lot of the motion graphics that, that we saw in like fully flared, um, you know, he had always worked with spike and, and the guys at grown chocolate and Lakai for a long time. And Johannes is really awesome in the way that he would approach, um, you know, some of the commercials and some of the, uh, uh, projects that, that he did with them. And just like these wacky fun things. And he would go out and like shoot them in his garage with, uh, with, with the other guys and his, even with his kids, and, um, you know, I was talking to Ty and he had said, Hey, you know, if you want, you want to take a stab at, 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 uh, some of the intros and, uh, we didn't get to do all the ones we planned, but I got to work on like three of them. And one really fun one that I did in pretty seat was, um, uh, Jesus, one of the, one of the pros, um, we did ho- this whole kind of like you know, kind of a uh, very, very, uh, I guess, Catholic influence, uh, uh, with Jesus. And, uh, he does this, uh, nolly nose grind on the bench that we filmed down, um, by the beach in Santa Monica. And I turned the bench to water as he was grinding across it. Mm. Uh, but it was fun because we shot it practically, sure. but then, but then it's like, you know, modeled the bench in 3d and then just, a shit ton of roto and and paint work and just did a you know a revealing mask a, across it to kind of crumble the uh the the bench and then turn it to water and the fun part of like how we did the practical was like we parked uh one of the other guys elijah had this uh red truck which was like an old school uh pickup truck and then we went to the beach with these trash cans, <laughs> these big ass trash cans, the, you know, the big rubber maids yeah. and scooped the water out of the ocean, brought it all the way back to the parking lot, uh, in Santa Monica, jumped on the back of, uh, Elijah's truck and then poured the, the rubber maids, uh, out and just filmed it practically. And we're like, Awesome. Not even really understanding of like how we would have done it, but just like, okay, it'll, come, it'll come it together. Works, in post. Yeah. yeah, it comes together in post. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lots That's of work lot. in post. <laughs> uh, yeah. A ton of it. And it was like doing, doing a bunch of them. There was a bunch of intros that, that I had started, but we never got to finish because of, of them just, you know, um, you know, locking, having, having to lock the edit, not that the edit was done. They just, they had to get the video out. Yeah. Um, so there were some that, that didn't wind up making the cut, but, uh, 
there's some other fun intros in there too, of like Elijah's multiplicity wall ride and, um, these other ones in there. But if you ever, if you ever get a chance and you get to watch, um, uh, pretty sweet, you'll see uh, a lot of the fun, creative, uh, you know, ideas between the entire team. And I think that relates back to like what we do is like, you know, um, the collaborative projects really, um, kind of just let all these ideas flow out of everybody's heads. And yeah, those are naturally the funnest things to work on, whether yeah. it's a paid gig or it's a passion project is, is really that collaboration. It's like, I think that's creatives like us. That's what we're always chasing. It's the people. It's, it's, it is the people. And, and if it's not the people, then it's the project, whatever that project might be. If the freedom is to create, I think that's for me, it's like, Oh, okay. That's where it's at. You know? Yeah. It's, it's like the freedom. It's like, you know, I, I looked, I looked back at, um, some of, uh, you know, I was like looking back at a bunch of people's reels, um, just to go back to for reference and inspiration every once in a while. But, um, you know, the, your passion project of, uh, you know, your, your, your tribute to ghost in the shell was, uh, was always cool because I, I like when people document the, um, the process because I'll, I'll eat up BTS and I'll eat up, um, reference day in and day out, you know, and, um, seeing how other people work is always interesting. Cause I ne really never bought Blu-rays other than to get the extra content because it was, you know, early days of Blu-ray, that same content wasn't, wasn't always put on the internet. Yeah. So I just buy the Blu-rays just for the BTS or just for the yeah, same. Cause it's the only time that visual effects artists, um, would really get their due course in the BTS. You know, it's like seeing, you know, all the VFX soups and, and, you know, all the crazy, um, work that the guys at, at, at uh, what a workshop and what a digital and, you know, people from rhythm and hues and all of that. And it's like, that's, that's the appetite quenching stuff is like going off of, you know, process. Cause you always learn something. And, and that's the, I think the fun part of like dissecting other people's projects, even if you recreate it. And I think, uh, one thing that was really funny, you know, um, going over to my friend, uh, Andrew Kramer, who, uh, who kind of has, has, uh, you know, been deemed by one way or another, uh, one of the early tutorial, um, and mega stars, if you will. Yeah. Actually and, getting him on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew, you know, I've known Andrew for, for a while now and how did you guys got, meet? We actually met because when I was still freelancing back in, in New York city, um, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, used to do tutorials on creative cow and that's where Andrew first came on mm. and, uh, creative cow, um, in its early heydays was a really good resource for, um, you know, kind of editing and broadcast. It was this forum, but it was really kind of kooky because there was all these like people that would vibe each other's like the old crowd would vibe the young crowd. Sure. But that's where I came across, um, uh, Andrew and my other friend Aaron Rabinowitz who, used to do a ton of after effects, uh, tutorials early on of like with particular and, and particle illusion. And, um, 
Andrew was, you know, Andrew was out West, but Iran was in New York city and Iran and I started, uh, this group together called AENY, which was after effects, New York. Um, there was an, another two friends that were involved, uh, Dave Gittleman and, and, uh, Dennis Radicke, who's actually worked at Adobe. He helped us get the Adobe sponsorship to even start the group. Um, but we started this user group in New York city and it was really us just wanting to kind of educate and inspire and, uh, having known Andrew from creative cow, I was like, well, we're going to need speakers. And, you know, other than the kind of New York city metro area of, of a, a large amount of talent of like, you know, having psyop and loyal Caspar and, and, uh, Shiloh and all these other boutiques and then the big houses, um, you know, I reached out to Andrew and, uh, I was like, Hey, would you want to come and, uh, you know, do a breakdown of, of one of the projects or, or, you know, show, and this was still earlier on. This was like fully before he had ever started, um, the really deep. Yeah. Re- before the plugins, really started to come out. There were more like the, the template libraries that he was doing back then that everybody used. It's like you could watch in any broadcast show or anybody's reel and you'd see the Andrew Kramer and be like, Oh, there's Andrew's elements over here. And (laughs) you'd always be able to see it. Yeah. But the one point that Andrew brought up was, you know, I said, do you ever get, you know, kind of upset that people just copy your shit left and right. (laughs) And he was like, he's like, you know what? No, like, um, if, if they're copying whatever I'm doing, they're always going to be learning something. And if they don't learn anything, um, you know, they're gonna, they're kind of, you know, probably going to fade out, you know, they're gonna, you know, maybe not stick it out within this. So it was, he was basically saying if they don't take what I'm teaching them, um, and, and putting this stuff out there for, for free for a large part of it, you know, it was, it was all free stuff and him just sharing his knowledge and his tests. Um, you know, he's like, I don't, I don't care if, if somebody copies me. Um, but that he would, he had always hoped that whatever he put out there, someone would just evolve it and, and take it to that next level. And I think it's, I I think anybody, any one of us that have ever like taught or done a tutorial or, or anything like that is like, yeah, go ahead, copy it, do it, do it exactly how we're doing it in the tutorial, but then take it and then make it your own, put your spin on it, put, you know, hopefully everybody, you know, could be to that point of like taking what they've learned and then adapting it to whatever story you know, element, graphic, you name it. Um, and then putting their own work out there. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I think that's a good, that's a good way of looking at it too. I think it's a healthy way to look at it because then it's like, you'll have like a more evolved approach to it, which is good. I had, um, kind of a similar thing to a teaching, you know, and similar idea and just kind of the idea of giving that away. Um, these things that you've earned, along the way, uh, you don't own them really. Um, they kind of just, the more you when hold you on to them, the more there, it just, it, that's what it is. It out, yeah. Once, once you put it out, whether it's a film or a short or, um, 
even a still image. I mean, especially with the internet, like one, once you let it go and you choose to let it go, it doesn't belong to you anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I talked about that a lot. It's one of the biggest problems I have too. Like, so a lot of my own like films that I make uh, are very personal or there's something like, it's like a piece of me. Uh, Tom York, actually, I mentioned this in the last podcast that Tom York mentioned, uh, mentioned it, I think in one of his interviews with said, like the saddest time for them is when they're done with a, an album that they love, they just, when they release it, it's like, it's, it's dead to them basically, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. cause it becomes the internet. It becomes like the worlds and there's people that love it and there's people that critique it and then ruin it, you know, for them. And if you really, I don't know. I have a real hard time with this. Maybe you have uh, different ways, but it's like when you make something and you're, it's so dear to you, it's really hard to differentiate like yourself from the piece, you know, um, at least for it, me, it's like when you put so much into what you care about and the passion and that's, I, that's part of your formula. Like I'm, my formula is very much passion driven. It's like a hundred percent passion, you know, like, and it's like when I put myself out there and somebody like on the YouTube or whatever, like you suck. This sucks. Well, it's an ego, <laughs> it's, like, it's an ego hit. It's yeah. an ego hit for sure. And it, it, and, and I would say learning how to deal with those situations is, it, it's one part. It's like, you know, I think you've, you've talked about this too. It's like being how, how prevalent one chooses to be involved in the in, in internet, especially from social media standpoint. Yeah. And I would say, I would say I'm, I'm, I've been pretty, you know, I was on Twitter early and, and, you know, I, I actually didn't do Facebook for a super long time. Um, but it was mainly like Twitter and Instagram and at the essence of all social media, it's basically, it's, it's this whole kind of narcissistic voyeuristic, um, human nature thing. And, uh, it's, it's part year it's that acceptance thing it's like if you can't be within that group you still want a group to to feel a part of or to feel like you're you're important and uh did you have a dad growing up or did you just a single mom just a single mom my mom did get remarried but um it it wasn't until um we were older so yeah yeah, my grandfather was my dad basically Mm. Yeah, because I don't know if, like, for me, social, like, psychologically, it could be, like, I was trying to figure this out the other day, too, just, like, my desire of sharing things and why it comes from and wanting to be loved or acknowledged or understood. Um, I mean, that's a normal human thing, you know, but it's, like, sometimes it be, it's a little bit more intense. And I read a lot of books, too, and I'm just curious about, like, why I do the things I do on a habitual data status, you know, and... um one of one of this this one book I was reading was really interesting um, that kind of like opened my eyes to certain things, which is called hard work. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, a lot of it's just common sense, basic knowledge. But one of the key things he said in there is like kill off your social media, which I think is not exactly right. I think I mean I don't know. It depends on who you are and what you do. Obviously, like I kind of depend on the internet to exist in certain ways. Yeah. But um, what he said is like, he said it's so dry and clean and clear. He was like. Um, let's say like Instagram or Twitter or whatever, like there, he said like, these are privately owned companies, well-funded 
and they're designed to get your personal information and sell that to advertisers. And I was like, oh. yeah, it's like exactly it. You know, and once you hear that and you say that out loud, it just like, you feel like the dirtiest person for like oh, yeah. subscribing to this weird rat race game of dopamine drops of like addictions, you know, it's like, Oh <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like post the photo and how many it's like, Oh shit, I gotta, I gotta check in. And it's, uh, um, uh, it, it's that whole, like currency. Whole, yeah. And it's like, it's the same thing. It's, um, you know, I, I definitely know that I don't read nearly as many books as you do, but you do, you have, uh, my book list growing with your suggestions. <laughs> it's a good uh, one. This hard work one is, uh, I've been reading one on, on habit because I, I know that I have certain habits that, that I recognize and, and my wife would say she recognizes. Um, but, but ones that I, that I want to break and ones that I know because of like, I definitely believe in cycles and, and, and things kind of, um, going in cycles and, you know, you know maybe it's, uh, you know, that kind of metaphysical or, uh, or, or astrological, um, kind of cycles in there and, and how things go and come back in, in full circle, you know, yeah. kind of like, an, or like an orbit. It, it uh, is true though. I mean, there's laws of nature and how things balance and like time and yeah, it's definitely. Well, yeah. And, and that's, I think the other part of, uh, you know, like the education and the research is like not just about work, but just about humans, you know, reading, you know, wanting to get and be in good, in good shape. Um, and, and, you know, with the way that we work in the creative field of like having very long hours, some of those hours spending a shitload of time at a computer, which is just rotting our brains, um, <laughs> or, or, or pulling, you know, a 14 to, to 22 hour day, uh, shooting and, and being on location or, or whatever it is. It's like, you have to, you have to get your body and your brain in, in the right place or you're just, I mean, you won't be able to be, uh, kind of with it for your kids, for your spouse, uh, for your significant other, or even yourself. And I've definitely noticed that, um, over the years, it's like, you know, uh, either letting bad habits stick with me or picking up ones and dropping others. Um, and it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard to kick certain habits and, and, and knowing what the triggers are. And basically, um, you know, if you pay attention to them, you're kind of, you kind of like the light bulb goes off and you're like, wait, shit, like, okay, I see that now. I mean, I do this, you know, yeah. especially from the outside in, you don't recognize it. Like, like you said earlier, um, because you're looking, you know, through a distorted lens, but you know, and it, it's not horrible things. It's not bad things, but it's, it's just stuff that, you know, as a, as a dad, as a husband, as a, a brother and a son and a friend, I definitely, see that there are things that I could change that could enhance relationships, enhance just my way of living, my health, my, you know, both in, in health, most people talk about, Oh, are you not sick? But 
there's definitely different levels of health of like yeah you know, how's your, yeah your psyche your yeah. your your brain functions like all of that and a lot of people don't even pay two cents to you know kind of paying attention to their to the whole body type of experience of like you know the brain the heart and the health type of things so sure. there's a ton that you know that's natural atrophy you know uh, yeah, and I think, and psychological and social atrophy and all kinds of things. And yeah, I mean, yeah, you've talked about it before. I think, you know, bringing you talked about it with Chris and I think with with Grant of like, um, uh, is it judo? You do you do judo or, or oh, jujitsu? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, of like having that outlet. And oh, yeah. yeah, you need it. I love, I'm so thankful that I have it because it's a physical and mental outlet. And yeah. And it's, it's, so it's good. very challenging. You oh, know, it's God. like, yeah. I didn't take, ju I didn't take jujitsu. I did study martial arts for, um, for, for a long time when I was younger mm. and it, um, it, it was different. You know, I, I, I studied a different style called Ishinru and it was, um, it wasn't anywhere near the type of grappling or that it was, it was more of a, you know, more of a, just a, a straight martial art of like karate. Mm. And, um, the, the discipline, uh, of, of, of like a kata and, you know, that, that the kata is more like a, people would think it's like Tai Chi. It was, yeah. it was more movement and, you know, it was flow. Um, and, and kind of getting inside your, your own head. And I think that's, what's awesome about martial arts and, great. and the style of like even meditating. It's like, it's a form of meditation. I, yeah. yeah. You have if to learn I, to breathe and stuff. You ever watch the film choke? You ever seen choke? I've never seen choke. You should watch it. Um, Joe, Joe Rogan talked about it and I was like, Oh yeah, what's this? And then, uh, um, it's not the Chuck Palahniuk one. It's a uh, choke. Um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Documentary, I guess it's, uh, yeah, you're, you're watching, uh, Ricks and Gracie basically it's called uh -huh. choke a Ricks and Gracie documentary. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. I'll send you a link to it, but, um, yeah, it's basically, um, you're following a Ricks and Gracie as he goes through pride. You ever watch pride fighting? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, well, he, he, you're following all these guys from pride, but you're watching, Rickson, just this kind of smaller guy, but knows jujitsu and he's really good with jujitsu. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, one of the best, one of the Gracie's basically, but you just kind of watch him go up against these behemoth, these monsters, you know, and, uh, you'll see, you'll just have to see it, but it's just incredible. It's a really interesting documentary though, because, um, it's kind of focusing on, you know, the modern look of these things and the difference of where this stuff goes. But it, for me, it was like mostly like a warrior spirit, you know, like it's about yeah. the warrior spirit, the warrior's journey, um, which is like, we all hold that. And I think when you watch him, you're watching him really live life. Like you're watching him a hundred percent living him and all the other guys, you're watching them all live. Like they're in that moment of, pure living you know so it's really interesting yeah and i think jujitsu is like and all this stuff like i think it's all form of meditation in some capacity martial arts is great for that it's very humbling um yeah it, yeah. it definitely it definitely is i mean it's a long journey you go, it takes forever <laughs> yeah. 
I don't think you're, yeah, in martial arts, it's, it's kind of a thing. It's like it's a lifetime sh- thing. Yeah. You could be, you know, there, that's why there's very few masters or grandmasters or, you know, um, you know, it's, not it, it's for that. Yeah. No, it's not. It's a, it's a, it's a journey of, of knowledge and, and, um, it's funny, you know, the, uh, the 80s movie when I was a kid that I always loved was, uh, The Last Dragon with Bruce yeah, Lee. Yeah, of course. And yeah. it's like, you know, when he, uh, talks to his master in the beginning that sends him on the journey to, you know, kind of becoming the master, um, was, uh, you know, the whole journey was him basically finding himself and being confident in, in himself. And, you know, he had the, ad, the adversary, um, of, uh, of, uh, show enough. And, uh, funny, the whole thing is like, obviously it's a spoof of yeah. a, a Barry Gordy film, but, uh, you know, there, there's still the lesson in there is, uh, you have the sensei teaching the student that, you know, you, you're going to have to go on a journey and you're going to get your ass kicked. Um, but then when it comes time, uh, and you accept yourself, you know, you will get to the, to, you know, to the next level basically is how they describe it in the film. Um, but you know, as a kid, I, I just thought it was the coolest thing of that, you know, he attains the final level and his hands glow and he basically is doing that kind of strata effect that Bruce Lee is doing from enter the dragon. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's gotta love those 80, classic eighties movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. to this day, I let my, uh, I let my son watch it uh, a while back. It was like, yeah, there's, you know, eighties movies like that. It was like, you know, few, choice words in there for for a younger kid but uh you know it's like i I gotta introduce the 80s classics to them i mean they're all hooked on the goonies and better off dead and one crazy summer sure Uh, yeah those are seminal like classic films at this point i guess i guess we're aging ourselves quite a bit but it's like yeah it's it's kind of where a lot of um what we are and what we do and the action like just music and culture and stuff is a lot of it derives from these like big pockets and moments of society that just like was booming with art and creativity and ideas and uh culmination and stuff is really interesting you know like, i go back to it a lot i mean i there's huge people i mean it's it's a cultural shift people are going back to the 80s like crazy for the oh, past yeah, like, I mean, decade people have been going the, back to the 80s like stranger things yeah, Look yeah. At, you know? I mean, stranger things is very very much like a um, considered like a nostalgia jerk, I guess you'd say, you know, so it's like very yeah, much like that. it was played. It was played very well. I mean, it was, it was a great series. Um, it was totally, uh, they played the nostalgia, uh, thing because of, you know, most people like are, you know, in our, in the thirties, um, that grew up in the eighties, um, love that stuff. It's like, you know, if you, if you were to say, Hey, Michael J. Fox is going to, do another film that's kind of got like an eighties kickback to it. You would be like, Oh shit. Sign, sign, <laughs> sign me up for it. Sure. You know, it's a, yeah. uh, it's, it's the same thing with the music. I, I totally go back to, you know, older music. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes I'm like, all right, I need to kind of kick some of the playlists and then I'll go exploring, you know, SoundCloud and Spotify and, um, look, you know, check out other people's playlists to 
to uh, to find some stuff. There's actually a really fun uh, web page that is uh, like radios all over the world, and mm-hmm. it's almost like a Google Earth. Um, I'll send I'll send it to you too, so you have it. But uh, yeah. you can tune into radio stations all around the world um, off of this one web page. Awesome. That sounds interesting. Yeah, if you send it to me, I can share it with everybody that's listening. Yeah. To. I'm sure people are like, oh, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're going to cool. tune into uh, what's happening in Romania, you Fun. know? And interesting. Hopefully, yeah. they're not all playing Western music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's interesting how much the culture of America has just spread everywhere. It's crazy. Going anywhere, there's like a McDonald's in obscure towns in an abstract country like what the hell is that you know like (laughs) it's it's the influence it's like hey wait i you know i'm going to japan to experience something different not to run into like kfc's and and mcdonald's and all that stuff yeah but um it is what it is you still get a good good amount of it it's funny i didn't realize that you worked on the art of flight which i love that talking about snowboard videos that are quite seminal i was going to actually talk to you about if you've seen picture this which i imagine you must have now yep um, which is one of those snowboard videos that I like kind of stuck with me. That was right when I started really getting into snowboarding quite heavily. And then they were mm-hmm. playing like electronic music, like the knife and Roy Sop and all these things. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like it's not just only hip hop. It's like electronic music of good taste, you know, of stuff that I've never heard before, which I thought was really fun and opened <laughs> me up to like that whole world of sound and music, which I thought was great. And that's when I, I was actually doing like, um, I was doing board graphics for like Rosignol and a bunch of stuff, yeah. freelance stuff just for fun, um, on the side. Well, not for fun. I was getting paid for it, but yeah, I mean, I used to do snowboard graphics. So I had so much fun with that stuff. Um, yeah, but, um, the art of flight, that's awesome. That's a, that's a, another seminal kind of like action sports snowboarding video, like, um, film basically, not even it was videos a, to film. It was a, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, the, the music really, really drove a lot of that film, sure, um, yeah. you know, and, uh, uh, some of that music coming off of my, at that type, uh, that time, uh, my hype M playlist, <laughs> my hype machine playlist yeah, hype machine. Um, yeah. <laughs> is, uh, I found a new band that I never heard of, um, at that time that was unknown was the naked and the famous and um some of the key tracks uh in uh the art of flight were from from the playlist is uh you know i was sitting there editing um in uh kurt morgan's uh he's the director right yeah yeah and kurt kurt's an old friend from back east we grew up uh, in the same circles and our friend, our other friend, Jared Slater, who was also at brain farm at that, at that time. Um, a good chunk of brain farm is all East coast transplants. Um, and back in the day, there was a big migration of everybody from Jersey, uh, Catskills, uh, and Vermont that moved out to mammoth. Um, and, uh, Jared and Kurt and a bunch of guys, um, were part of that kind of moving out to mammoth and then they went from mammoth over to uh to montana much later um but with art of flight is uh the naked and the famous and and some of the other tracks was like uh i'd be you know i was editing and uh doing some 
some hidden <laughs> hidden VFX on because uh, we hit a bunch of stuff in the Art of Flight. There are motion graphics and, and kind of little visual effects things that if you you'd have to watch it multiple times to see is like um, in the Darwin. Uh, range when they're talking about like the devil and the Darwin as you're going out to the Darwin range. If yeah. you look, if you look at um, one of the little lakes as it's uh, it's a flyover, mm-hmm. we actually hid a picture of Darwin in the reflection oh, of really? the of the lake. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but yeah, little, you know, like the clever things in there, huh? the super moon and, and kind of rotoing people, you know, rotoing Travis out and, and, and kind of like speeding things up and just, just messing with things. It wasn't, it wasn't heavy handed visual effects or motion graphics at all. It's cool um, though. It's like little additives so, though. Yeah. Yeah. But it, you know, the music thing is, uh, I'm working on a film like that. The music side of it because you know it was a follow-up to uh that's it that's all yeah that's uh, it that's all i remember that one too and, yeah <laughs> and uh that's it that's all had it had it, that was like your quintessential that's your snowboarders snowboard film yeah yeah and, you know it had you know all like the just, good guys yeah, like all justice the sick, and all the music. yeah yeah, yeah and, and the epic it, music um, too yeah yeah and and for art of flight Kurt wound up getting in touch with Anthony from AM83. Mm, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, lucky, <laughs> you know, you just, you, you put that together and Kurt's, um, Kurt's actually a really good musician himself. He's, you know, his kind of lineage of like a, being a hardcore kind of punk drummer, um, uh, and, and really exploring music. And that's, that's one thing of like working, working with your friends who are also really talented is like Kurt's a good cinematographer. He's a good musician. He's a good editor, Jared Slater and, uh, my other buddies, Greg Wheeler and Gabe and all those guys all talented. And when you, when you bring all that talent together with the amazing writers, um, and the people behind the scenes, you wind up with things like, like the art of flight, which anybody that say it was like, yeah, I worked on the art of flight, um, they, even if they weren't in skateboarding, snowboarding, or kind of like the action sports world, they're like, Oh, I've seen that. That's like, that's an awesome film. And, and I think that was one of those shifts in, um, you know, kind of action filmmaking that the art of flight rose the bar to, uh, to another level. Cause it was like a bunch of punk snowboarders that had access to you know some amazing equipment after after that's it that's all so it's like you start bringing things like a like a cineflex and phantom cameras and and red cameras and you know obviously still shooting on like you know uh uh, re-235s for the film stuff but uh you know it's it's the same thing they're just tools yeah and those tools in the hands of people that are willing to take risks at times, very big risks and, uh, and, and be okay to be like, shit, we don't have a plan at some points, you know, at some points there are planned out, but then some things they're just kind of like, you know, shooting from the hip and and trying things out and Hey, you know, let's, let's see if this will work, you know, in situations. It's kind of good though. 
Like yeah, but there's certain situations you just can't you can't fuck around with. Like when you're necessity is the mother of invention, you know. That's so. exactly right. Yeah. But um, you know, when you're in the back, starts that way too. Yeah, when you're in the backcountry and you're in some of the really sketchy scenarios, um, you you have to you have to be very careful because a decision you make could could end someone's life or yeah. vice versa. So yeah, sketchy uh, stuff, man. It's like the same thing on a, you know on a feature. It's like we've seen some pretty horrible accidents happen on feature film sets in the past Bruce, couple of years. Bruce Lee's son died. You know, it's like that's really crazy. Yeah, I was crow. watching I was watching the crow the other day, and I was like, wow, like it almost made me cry thinking about how sad it is that Bruce Lee died obviously, but then also his son. And I just feel so bad for the, the family that was left behind. But also just, you, you see, um, such potential in, in Bruce Lee's son. Too. Yeah. Brandon, Brandon, Brandon yeah. just, uh, yeah. It's if you, if you research the story, it's like, you know, really crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Just like how bizarre, the, the prop the prop gun was loaded and how it was a fragment and you know everybody likes to equate it to the uh you know that the the, curse. the family curse and, and yeah. all that it's like but if you don't believe in that what is it then you know and it's just like well shit it's bad circumstances bad bad yeah i mean you're you are you're pressing your luck when you're shooting things at yourself even if it's blanks you know and and that's the thing i was going to say about like the art of flight or any of these um these videos like when i first started getting into snowboards i was like wow like how what the hell like i was just doing like little kickers and like trying to get down the mountain (laughs) properly without looking like a fool you know and so um, watching these guys, it's just like, I remember you, and I know, you know, this pretty well, I'm sure it's like skateboarding before the X games and skateboarding after the X games is, was a completely different shift in the sport, you know, like oh, the progression level, it's it like, it got ridiculous. It got PlayStation basically. Like the shit got ridiculous. It, it's you know? it, it is the day. when I, when I watch the, and I say kids, I, I feel like now we're dating ourselves. We're more definitely old as shit. But the progression, if you look at, and you can take this anywhere, even if it's outside of, of skateboarding and you even look into, um, uh, art, artists today, like the, the level at which a kid can learn motion graphics today can be so accelerated from like when he learned this because of YouTube, because of Vimeo, because of tutorial sites because of x number of things the resources same way crazy in skateboarding resources. is they also see the work and it's like yeah you know the, they look at the level of work today with the tools that are out there and it is kind of like you can create any world that you want and it's the same thing in skateboarding snowboarding they see that they're the pros of today or even the amateurs uh, of today are hitting jumps that even 10 years ago would be un you know unimaginable yeah of like you know if you were see snowboarding in the olympics and you've got quad double cork you know uh 1440s being the norm it's just or, like weird yeah alien where does it go though i mean yeah where does it go (laughs) well in 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 the sports side of it versus you know the the creative side is like i have a lot of friends that are pro today um or friends that have semi-retired or or ended their career and 
a lot of them are really banged up, like, you know, already have arthritis. And it's like the same thing for me, you know, having done it for so many years of so many broken bones and torn cartilage and, and dislocations and things like that. But, you know, having some friends that also got really hurt, um, you know, it's like, Kevin Pierce and and having his um, traumatic brain injury of uh, looking at that same level, it's like Kevin could have and and probably would have, you know, been tit for tat for with 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 Sean uh, going into that Olympics and and then you know having key people also pass away. It's like right after that was Sarah Burke and she was a uh, you know one of the top female free skiers and it's like when i started snowboarding there were like hand dug half pipes and now you have super pipes that the walls are you know 22 23 feet tall and then when you get air out of this at a high rate of speed you know you're 40 feet from the flat bottom you know from some of this stuff so it's like is the risk worth it? And some, some people I know don't care about competing anymore. Some people don't care to go film, film apart because some of these people have families, whether they're a guy or a girl, it's like, do they want to take the risk of having a traumatic brain injury, getting caught in an avalanche, you know, crazy, man. Is it? And it is, it's a testament to the level of putting yourself out there. You know, we, I think as artists, we put ourselves out there when we, when we share work or even share pictures on Instagram. Um, but when you're an athlete, you know, if you look at, uh, Anderson Silva, you know, it's like, did anyone ever think like he would break his leg as bad as he did, you know, um, in, in one of the fights or that he wouldn't be on the top anymore. It's like, if you get in an octagon, you've got some pretty high risk off the bat. You yeah, know, it's, it's the same thing with, uh, with a lot of sports today. Yeah. You look at, you look at all of these, you know, levels of sports and, and most people, even on a collegiate level, um, they've, they've pretty much ended their career before they even get, uh, get finished with college these days. So it's like, it's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's risk, man. It's it, every, obviously inherently everything we do, whether Anytime we get in a car, it's a risk, but, uh, sure. Different levels of it. You know? Yeah. It's, ca- it's calculated at some points because in, in the of essence it, uh, of it, yeah. yeah. When you're an athlete or, or when you're doing jujitsu, you're choosing to do that. You know, it's like, uh, you know, it, it, it's calculated. It's like, do you go into jujitsu thinking that someone might pop your shoulder out or your elbow? No, you hope, <laughs> you hope that, you know, you, you, uh, you either tap out or, um, know how to get out of, uh, that, uh, kind of maneuver. So it's the same thing with, with snowboarding. It's like, you can choose to hit that, you know, 70 foot kicker or, um, or that rail or go around it. (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's, it's also too, was like, you know, no risk, no reward. It's really crazy, man. Like it's, uh, it's just a whole nother level really it is. And, and I think that's one thing I think it's really interesting is like the evolution, but then like what's left after that, it's like, there's, where does it go? Like I, that's when I, I used to love, um, like r- riding bike. But then when I started seeing like, Oh, I thought, Oh, I want to be good. Then I started seeing people doing like 
oh, I'm going to do like a tail whip, you know, off the a three stair, basically like bunny hop tail whip off the three. It's like, dude, what the hell? Like, <laughs> yeah, now you have double, double backflip, double tail whips yeah, or like, <laughs> double backflip, double flares. It's like, it's the craziest. It kind of takes, took the fun out of it for me personally. Cause I was like, oh, I'll, I won't, that's not what I like from it. And I think there's, um, I think you see that in almost all different art forms too. And things become so much of a sensationalized thing of like, just one upping the last person where it just like it loses its flair. You see it a lot in like say cars, for example, like, yeah. like people there, like they're like, they're like number horny, you know, like we got to have the G's and all this stuff and all these horsepower numbers. And like, they're just horny for the stats, you know? And it's like, for me, it's like, that doesn't mean shit. Like if you get in it, it's soulless. It doesn't even feel good. It's like, what's the point of this thing? You know, like, I think you go back to the beginning. Um, you do because what you do is you go back to the source where actually there was a, a meaning behind it or there was the inspiration of it. And I think that's, that's, uh, for, for me is, uh, is like being able to skate or snowboard or do that, do that with my kids and then see them enjoy it and see them progress at it is, is is like the the key thing to it. It's like, yeah, am I going to be jumping down 16 stair rails anymore or, or anything like that? No, but I'm okay with that because it's just like, even if I were to not do another trick, but be able to, you know, just ride and, and just, you know, just skate or just like maybe pump a, a bowl or, or whatever it is like, I'm, I'm fine with that. It's like, yeah, yeah I still, I still love to, I still love to skate. I still love to, to jump down things and, and on things and, and, sure. um, it's just different things, it's different flow. Yeah, it's, it's a different it's, desire, I guess. I know. also know my body hurts yeah. a bit more than it used to when I was in my teens and twenties doing sure. this stuff. But, uh, you know, it's like the, I think the competitiveness switched for me. Sure. It was like the, competitive nature that I had in, in skateboarding and snowboarding that was like, it wasn't competitive, like competing to win a trophy. It was, it was competitive in me of like progressing to be able to do the tricks that I saw in my head that are like, if I can visualize it. And it's funny that, um, uh, a longtime pro who's always been a big influence for me, was Mark Johnson. And, um, he said in an interview was basically like, you know, being able to use the visualization tool of like, if, why, if your brain can, can see it happen, why can't you manifest that? Mm. And I don't really think that there's Arnold Schwarzenegger does that too. Like the visualizing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was the same thing. Like, uh, reading up more on like Tesla Mm, of like, he would always have his dreams and then he would always, um, be, um, you know, very, very confident and he would always write his dreams down. He would have like his journal. Um, and then, uh, he said that, and I'm trying to remember it right with Tesla. It was like, he said that he could control his dreams. Hmm, I was yeah. like almost being able Lucid to, dreaming. yeah, yeah. Step into them and basically, Um, I forgot what it was. I was reading one of Tesla's books or like a book about Tesla. And he was describing that of, um, there was like a semi you know, I guess we would call it a semiconductor or, or some kind of, uh, uh, 
um, piece of technology for back then, which was, you know, electric and analog, but him being able to say that in his head, he could construct it and basically visualize it almost in like VR is that he'd be able to see it from all sides and then basically do, you know, like a schematic blowout in his head. And then he would, he would make it. Yeah. Seeing is believing, man. That vision is a hundred percent where it is. If you can't visualize it, then what are you doing? Yeah. That's tapping into it. It's like, obviously Mm -hmm. we know Tesla was on, was on another level. Yeah. Uh, but it, you, he, he was using those dreams to get there, you know, that I, I actually, it's interesting to hear that because I started to get into some deeper, like meditative thought and thinking process, which is like starting mm-hmm. to really elevate the way I think and look at things. Like before I actually really get into work, I, I will really start to meditate on it, whether it's like a deep thought or whatever it might be, but I'll see it all done. I'll hear everything from it. I'll, I'll feel it. Everything will be I'll kind of go through the whole process of actually doing it so that when I come to actually do it for real, it's already done. I just have to go and put in the work. And that's when like the discipline comes in, obviously, because if you don't have discipline, then it doesn't work. But having the, uh, the vision for it, the, the, the feel of the finished piece, it's like, yeah, if you don't see it, then you don't belong doing it. Jiu-jitsu is very much like that too. It's like, I look at my coach Giovanni and like, I look at him and I just see hit the way he rolls. It's like, jiu-jitsu is kind of like a chess with your body mm-hmm. using your body and your mind and but the way i watch him like he i'll see him doing like a move where he's like if you, you're watching cues like he's pushing his pressure on one spot to push you to the other one but he's making three moves ahead so if you move the left he's got a plan he's moved right he's got a plan and he's i could see him visualizing it like it's weird i could see him kind of just naturally flowing through each move naturally it's really cool and i like to take all that stuff all that all that logic that i learned from these sports and everything that i learned from these books and just apply it to art because i'm curious to see like you know how hard you could push it you know so yeah it's 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 the it's that pressure um and having having those outlets whether it be jujitsu or or skateboarding or music or or opens your lens of reality Basically, you need that to open your lens of reality. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, because the, the pressures of, of, uh, of being freelance or, or owning or starting a studio, it's like, you know, I, I left, uh, I got really burnt out on Hollywood and the freelance life. And I went and I, I took a corporate job and I was working, I was working at GoPro for, mm-hmm you know, a number of years. And I thought that that was going to solve a lot of problems for me, you know, of like, okay, it's going to be a steady paycheck. It's going to be at a good company that's growing because I joined them before GoPro was at Republic. You're down in San Diego? Is that where it was? That was part, uh, San Mateo and uh, Carlsbad. Yeah, because the original, original, like the, the main guy that started it, See him on Shark yeah, Tank Nick. every once in a while. Yeah, Nick. <laughs> yeah, I watch that show sometimes. And yeah. yeah, he it's Carlsbad, right? Is that where he came from? Yeah, yeah. yeah Carl, Carlsbad. The, surf, he was like the, a surfer guy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and and it's like, uh, you know, GoPro became came to be because of a necessity of, of Nick wanting to shoot his friends while he went on surf trips. And yeah. uh, 
you know, it's like, uh, not being I, I satisfied with what it was and then branding it, doing it well. And yeah, it's now it's a household yeah, name. Yeah, it is. It is. And it was like the same thing. Um, you know, I was, I was really burnt out on freelancing. I was just like, hey, you know, it was like it's tiring. And freelancing. Yeah. It, it's super tiring because you're your own bookkeeper. You're everything. You're, yeah. you're everything in it. It's just like, and, and you're, you're always the salesman. You're always selling yourself as the person that can get that particular job done as whatever yeah. role that you're going to fit. It's not in, for you know, everybody it comes with a no. great amount of freedom, but a great amount of responsibility. Oh, and it's yeah. pretty, it's pretty crushing too. It's like, you know, how many, I don't, and I don't know for how many times it's like, you know, getting screwed over, like not getting paid from oh God. Yeah. like shitty, nightmares. <laughs> shitty people. Yeah. Um, but you know, I thought that that was a safety net for, for a few years for me, but like creatively, I, I was like, I felt like I was dying a little bit every year that I was there mm. because it was, it was liberating in some parts. It was like, I learned a, I, I learned a shit ton, um, being there. I, I met some amazing people, you know, and it was, I would never change the experience of having kind of left the freelance and creative world to, to try out the, the corporate world and, and, and build something. Yeah. Um, but then after a while, it was just like, I, I was still shooting and still being involved in stuff, but I was using different camera systems, camera systems that didn't have manual exposure and lenses and, and, you know, not as compressed footage. And, um, but I was still working on features. I was still working on broadcast. So I was still in the creative world, but Mm. it was always facilitating somebody else's idea. Like I wasn't directing you know, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, it was always like either, you know, I was working on X games and cogging the wheel. Yeah. We were just, so after of about almost three years, I was just like, Hey, you know, I, t- I asked my wife, I asked her permission. I was like, I'm going to leave Good. and yeah. I'm going to start what I think is where I should be with, with a close, a close friend of mine. And, you know, I left and it was a huge risk. And, you know, we, my, my friend, uh, or my business partner and, you know, a close friend of mine, uh, Dean and De Silva, we started something that we weren't sure if it was the right thing to do is to start like a studio and a technology labs, because we, we love technology, but we knew that the technology is always there for the creative and vice versa is they can, they can push each other. Um, and we're both, you know, taking a big risk of like, shit, if we start a studio, we both have worked at studios. We know that, you know, it's, it's a rat race. So we have to really be cautious as to like how we would approach building this company, this studio, this, you know, this new venture. And, um, you know, in the past few months of us, of us doing this has been, you know, a little bit of a, a sigh of relief of like, we haven't needed to go chase, you know, chase the ambulance, so to speak of Mm -hmm. like having to like 
you know, I don't want to say bad words, but like kind of like whore ourselves out just to get some bad. It's real. <laughs> it's true. I mean, we're all, you know, as if you work as a freelancer and creative, you're an art prostitute, you know, I don't care what you yeah. think <laughs> I am. And you are. Everybody is. It's just how it works. So, yeah. It's always, it's, it's, that's a weird way to look at it. But at the same time, it's like, I mean, I'm very blessed. I'm thankful. I work with, I work on really great projects for the most part with great people, which makes me very happy. But it, I'm an art prostitute, you know, there's no doubt about it. <laughs> and, and I think that was the opportunity that we saw was like, we say, Hey, we started this because we didn't want to answer to anybody. Yeah. We do have to answer to clients. You yeah, know, we, you know, we do know. have to work with, you know, agencies and other creative directors and, and, you know, maybe I'm directing on one, maybe I'm DPing on one, maybe I'm sitting on nuke for seven, eight hours, t 10 hours of trying to get this stuff done. Yeah. But, um, but I think this, the saving grace is just like, like you do. And, 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 and a lot of people do is like, we, we always, I, we promised ourselves in the beginning was like, we have to separate ourselves from everybody else in that we have to stick to the plan of doing X number of in-house and passion projects yeah, and ideas that we have and being that we're technology driven with the creative is like if we want to test something we can build it at the studio we can go test whatever cameras we want to see if we can you know get a particular um style of shot done a different way you know whether that's with like analog servos or motion control or anything to do with, you know, a lot of the virtual reality and augmented reality stuff we're working on and, yeah. and really kind of play in the space. It's like, you know, uh, the whole virtual reality and mixed reality, um, you know, kind of bandwagon that everybody's been jumping on in the past few years is like, it's so many people are trying to define what this is and nobody even knows what this is thing is yet no and yeah, and that's kind of the cool figured out. it's the cool ride right now it's like there are so many people that are trying to say virtual reality is this or augmented reality is this and sure. and it's a fad and all that i i honestly don't think that virtual reality or, or mixed reality it's whatever you want to call it it's another tool it's it's a medium it's not film yeah. it's not video it's its own thing. And it's, you know, it goes back to the old thing of like, you know, as soon as you, you start to label a movement, it ceases to become one. So yeah. it's like, as everybody always so quick to label something, I think it's, it's because when you can, are programmed. when yeah. you can label it, you can put a dollar sign to it and sure. you can put a you can put value to it. So it's always like that tough one of a uh, human nature. Yeah. And I think it's a very kind of the skater uh, subculture punk mentality of like, you know, hey, don't label my movement. You know, it's like back off. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's how but we categorize. I mean, that's how we've survived. That's where we come from as a, as a species. Yeah. We itemize and categorize. You know, are you danger or are you not? Are you benefit or not? You know, it's like. <laughs> oh, it's that, that yeah. fight or flight. Yeah. That's <laughs> so <laughs> deep. The more you read about it or understand it inside of yourself, integral, like you see it everywhere like you're like just, where does it come from now like oh where? well it's just survival you know it's deep rooted survival like oh you know like just making it through 
you know, propelling the species through, you know, it's it's pretty funny if you listen to a lot of the, uh, like, uh, the physicists and and, uh, philosophers and, and all that of like the, the differentiating, uh, opinions between what they are, because when you go far back, you, you can't say anything else than there were opinions. Like we, we don't know cause we weren't there. We can only kind of hypothesize, yeah, it's hypothesis, but it's, yeah. but it's so that stuff is so interesting to just like have conversations about of like, we, we talk about all this crazy shit that we deal with, with work and being parents and, and being providers, um, and artists and, and worrying about, you know, is, is this, uh, you know, is this vector graphic or this, this line or, or whatever worry so much about that. And then when you get back to the fundamentals of like, what's really important, uh, of, you know, if, if there is a reason why we're here or like what you can kind of, uh, you know, get all, uh, existential about it's, uh, all the shit we worry about is pretty meaningless. Yeah, no, it is. <laughs> when, it is. Yeah when uh we, 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 we add a lot of value to it because that's what makes it special to us and that's why we do it but it it doesn't mm-hmm. it's like in the grand scheme of the reality of the world you know like it's it's just it's a our cough in the wind kids. man yeah it's our kids and our family that are that's the most important thing. yeah which is funny because we talked about the work-life thing and like how much we i mean i don't know about you but like i will go and be super selfish and like lock myself up and just go and learn something or focus on one thing that i'm really interested in you know and i could be focusing on other things friends family no, I, that kind of stuff I, too, you know so i'm right there with you and and i think that that at times creates tensions between my myself and my kids, my wife, you know, even, even family. And, and I don't think, I don't think enough people, um, probably either let that out or, or, or talk about it because, you know, it's like, oh, it's personal, you know, uh, let my guard down. If I, if I say I get into a fight with my, with my wife and it's like, but shit, man, everybody, everybody else does. It's, 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 uh, it actually shows that you care too. It's just a matter of communicating what's important. That's, I think that's the that's biggest the big key thing. thing is like for my marriage, it's always been about uh, understanding to communicate values and what matters and compromise, you know, like yeah, um, compromising and the values and making sure that uh, you're being understood and heard because like the last thing you want is to not be understood and heard. But the the last thing you also want is to just do what other people say all the time because you'll just yeah. build resentment. You'll pop, man. You'll blow up. I don't care who you are. Eventually, you're going to blow up. You know, it's not natural just to just say yes to everything and be a yes man. It's like, I don't, I don't know. Like, that doesn't, that's not happiness. But I no, think the key not. thing that helps me is always communication, always saying like, hey, I'm really... You know, when, I, when, when my wife knows I'm becoming a laser on something, she's like, all right, you know, like he's going into it and that's it. And so she understands it. But we have a really interesting dynamic. It's totally different from most people. Like my wife is a, she's very, very smart and she compliments my life and her life. We compliment each other very well. We're complete opposites in a lot of ways. But, and as a business together, as we work together, um, cause she manages me basically, she's my producer at this point. Um, it's it's like we balance each other really well because she can handle that side of the things that I just I'm I could do I just don't like doing that it yeah 
and it's and, and same with her like we always make jokes like oh you know like you want to design that thing for me you know i'm gonna go to bed you know design that thing and she's like no you want to do the paperwork <laughs> you want to do the taxes like no i don't want to do that so yeah i was making but so that's an interesting here. that's a, a there's an understanding there that i think maybe in um with with my wife and i is is uh it's like in a way it's like talking to a producer when you work with a producer or, or somebody that, um, doesn't fully understand what, what you do and what it takes to do what you do at times. And I think, I feel like sometimes I have to, to explain that to her and to other people of like, this, this stuff doesn't just happen overnight. And when I say, Hey, I'm working, why did, you know, you'll get the question. And sometimes it's like, well, why does it take you X number? <laughs> like, how do you have to be on a computer or, or this from like nine in the morning till four in the morning? And it's like, you know, we don't have the instant render button or we don't have the instant throw from your head into Photoshop or, you know, uh, Houdini or After Effects or whatever it is. And, and the magic button happens. I would love if the magic button existed, but it doesn't, I don't think it ever will. And, uh, I don't think it would be as fun if no. there was the magic button. No, it wouldn't uh, because what's the point then? Yeah. You know? It's the, all the journey about, is the point. It's the you know? journey. Yeah. It's, it's the, the work is what matters. It's, it's not anything it's else. It goes back to all back to Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's why those stories work because they're universal and it's what we equate value to. I you know it's weird because I watched like just from afar, like just um, where this like our you know popular culture and society seems to be going is this like, sensationalism mm-hmm. on success, success only, and not acknowledging the idea of failure and like how bad and unhealthy that is because. Of course, it's great to want to be successful, but like, man, if you really study successful people, they were like the biggest failures at so many parts of their lives. And we only want to acknowledge like, hey, you know, it's like uh, bring up the Pixar story again, like John Laster would say, like, you know, um, like the the think about how many times he failed, you know, like and how hard it was for them as a company oh, yeah. for Pixar just to getting, make it work. Getting you know? booted from Disney. Yeah, you know? just, just like one of the many roadblocks that he hit in his life. But like he continued on and he was saying like how, you know, people call uh, Pixar, like people in the public call Pixar uh, an overnight success. And he's like, couldn't be further from the truth. You know, it's like there's no such thing as overnight success. And it's even the same thing. Like one of my favorite stories is say about Picasso. It's like mm-hmm. he was at a party and he was drawing, like some lady asked him to draw her or something. He grabbed a napkin and drew her really quickly. And she's like, wow, I can't believe that. It only took you like 30 seconds. And he's like, what? 30 seconds. It took my, it took me 40 years or however old he was. He's like, it took me years to develop this skill and yeah. ability to do this. And that's, what's kind of interesting. It's like you get, you see a glimpse of it, but you don't know the past and the story and the history. But there is a universal law, I think, that we all acknowledge is that when we see something really great, we understand that time was used, like significant time and focus was used. And the greater that focus and in, in the use of time, the more I think we understand like that value universally. Like anybody of any walk of life can look at something and go like, there's something to value here. You know, like you, you stand there and you look at a row of cars, for example, there's five cars there. And each one of those cars had took a lot of time and effort from many hundreds and thousands of people to do, but there might be one particular car that 
had a, this particular designer or a particular person that uh, put that extra amount of time or focus and dedication or love or passion into it. And you just feel it. You just look at it and go, yeah, this is the one, this one's better. Or you look at like an Apple product in comparison to its competitors or something like that. You just go, this yeah. just looks like it was thought of more, you know, it just looks like it was considered more. And I feels like something of value and so people that understand that and, and acknowledge that and use that as a powerful tool, it's like, man, unstoppable, you know, really and, and amazing, you know, but I think there is a universal law and I think that's a, a true, a very true thing that is, is just through and through in culture. And I think that's a really important thing for us creatives as we go through this process to acknowledge and understand that there's going to be years of failure, um, years of it, lifetime worth of failure. But if you slowly make increments towards it and you you're not alone like listen to this podcast listen to me and my all my success has been just as much failures oh yeah Yeah. it's like if you're not failing you're not learning yeah and i and i don't want to romanticize the failure part because failing fucking sucks like i hate it like i feel like a turd when i fail i'm like damn this sucks you know like if i go do a speech or something i don't do it as well as i think i could or whatever it might be Um, I try to control my failures as much as possible too. that I control through like how the test, like you're saying, that's interesting about Tesla is I do the same kind of thing, like through it, like, um, I guess Steve jobs would do it like the reality distortion. I got Mm -hmm. to do a similar thing where I just distort my reality and I warp time and I start to think about and manifest ahead of myself and start to think about like, kind of like Donnie Darko, I guess, you know, like start to think (laughs) about it. Um, you go through and you make the, 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 the project or the vision or the, whatever it might be in your head. And then that's where you do a lot of the heavy failing basically. Cause you go, Oh, that didn't work. That doesn't work. And you go down channels basically. And then you start to visualize the successes and how you're going to get there. Yeah. Sometimes that can, I've even seen where sometimes that can, or it has for me where you, you have to approach it that way, but then when you're doing the calculations and where you're kind of wormholing, uh, through this, through the process of, of, uh, not trying to let your own head get too much into it to where you start throwing up your own roadblocks. Um, yeah. because then you're, it's like over calculating and you're just like, you don't want to do that. No. You're, you're, yeah, you're trying to think of how to, wind up with a successful ending to whatever it is that you're trying to plan out. But, um, it's, it's just a matter of also, you know, knowing when to, to kind of back off of it and then, you know, looking. And I think that's something I learned, uh, a lot from skateboarding was like how to look at things uh, from a different perspective. Um, and you can kind of say that for, BMX, snowboarding, skateboarding, whatever Anything, it is, different, different disciplines, skiing, yeah, totally. like any of it, you know, it's like, uh, again, it's a universal thing. I think a universal human thing and to visualize and to focus and really pinpoint on things. And, um, yeah, I think, that's yeah, it's a, funny, the human brain, how, how the human brain can see things that, uh, weren't there at first, but then when you approach it, it's like watching your favorite movie, over and over and over for however many times it's like I've, I've seen movies that I've, you know, I've watched probably hundreds of times. And then even in recent years going back and be like, Oh shit, I never noticed that. It's like the, the perspective it's like always shifting. Yeah. That's why it's it's, so interesting about films is they're constantly shifting. They're constantly changing based on your lens of reality, you know, and like 
you might watch a film, you know, 10 years ago and be like, this sucks. And then 10 years ago, you're later, you're a family person and you have all these different realities and you watch, you go, wow, like that really touched me, you know, like it's always funny, you know, and even filmmakers, when you watch them before they have family or after they have family, their, their films significantly change because their reality is distorted completely. To as, a, norms, as a father, you know? I could definitely say that as a father, it's like I, right before I took the job at GoPro, I shot a short film. I shot it with my kids. My wife was my AC (laughs) and I shot it in, uh, just a few days around the neighborhood. And, um, I just asked my buddy James, uh, cause I was like, Oh shit, I don't think I'm going to be able to do all the VFX on it. Um, cause I wanted it, I wanted to get it, you know, done. Um, so I was just like, I went out and I shot it. Um, the whole time I had the track, uh, for the short ahead of time, like mm-hmm. the track, that helps. the track. I do that yeah. too. I always pick the music usually before or get in a good idea. It, yeah. And the track basically, um, played out, you know, for me, uh, for me editing, it's always, the music is always the pace for the, for the edit. Just like, a, like a lot of editors will, will tell you that is like, you know, it, it, it's the, it's the puzzle board, you know, like the kids puzzle board that's already has the outline and you just kind of like line things up in the, in the middle for the pegboards. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that short was totally different. What I wrote down, in my little black book, um, which was father and son based had to do with like time and, and changing reality, um, through time. And, and, you know, it was very kind of sentimental and it was totally like a father son connection. But, um, as I was shooting it and listening to the track over and over and over, it totally shifted. Um, and I think to your point is like having a family totally shifted my thought process while working on that thing over, you know, like the three to five days that I, that I did that project. And, um, I made it, uh, flip flop from like this father son thing to this thing about loss between, uh, siblings and, and, uh, there's, there's no, the, the, the music drives the whole thing. There's no, uh, there's no VO, there's no dialogue. Um, and I, and I kind of like that. I like when music drives a piece that you, you know, the, the visuals just, you know, let your mind go wherever. You're talking about eternal, right? Yeah. Yeah. The eternal short that I did. Mm. And, uh, it was like when I was editing that, I was like, kind of sobbing like a little girl. It's <laughs> great. And not that, not that crying girls are bad, but, uh, just the sobbing ones. We hate yeah. that. I was joking. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean like it's, it's about loss. And it's like, I, no matter what, if I was like, if five, if just my family watches this and, and I get good feedback from them, like I will be, you know, I'll be on the moon. And, uh, you know, I, that was something that I was just like, okay, I'm going to put this out there. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if, like you said, if I was going to get like some shitty comments on, on Vimeo or, or, uh, putting, putting it out there. Yeah. But, uh, 
you know, it, uh, when I, when I showed it to my wife, she cried Mm. when I showed it, when I showed it to my son who was a little, you know, he was younger and obviously my, my daughter was much younger at that time. Mm. Um, he got upset because of the whole, you know, it's, uh, it's a brother losing his sister, but her, um, because they were so close, her, um, connection, their connection to each other, um, basically living on and, you know, without ruining it for people that are listening, but haven't seen it yet is like the connection was so strong that it brings on a telekinetic energy to him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, I, yeah, of course I always have to get the little (laughs) sci-fi thing in there. Something you Um, like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and who knows, like what I like about the idea of that too, is thinking that humans can attain something like that if they really did. And, you know, that probably goes back to like, you know, uh, thinking that it, uh, people that, that were like in Atlantis or the Egyptians or, or, or thinking that maybe we were at a higher level, um, back thousands or, you know, millions of years ago, however, however you want to play it in terms of the, the calendars go. But, um, you know, everybody thinks that everything came before us was, was beneath us was simpler where I like the idea that it was much more advanced back then than it is today. Just a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Their fascination wasn't with technology. It might've been more with like a spiritual connection with the altered realities and, you know, um, we call ayahuasca and all those kind of spiritual trends, like the open yeah. mind expanding third like eye brain looking, opening things, you know, pink toads in, in the Amazon. And, <laughs> yeah. But it's finding the, simu- the break in the simulation. <laughs> which is, yeah. And seeing, seeing the, the twitch and the black cat in the matrix. And, um, <laughs> yeah. but, but the funniest thing in, in all of that is like, what's the biggest thing in like Silicon Valley right now, microdosing, you know, to like expand, expand your expand your mind which i think is is all too funny and then the rest of the other people go off to uh to the amazon to uh to drink uh, ayahuasca um but no i i like those um and and that's probably maybe in, in a lot of the books that that you that you read too and some of the things that that i've been kind of researching more is like as a creative, where do you go? Like, how do you expand your mind? Like people go to different things. Like, you know, I go to music or I go to, to look at others work, not for the, not for the fact of getting caught up in, in, you know, if I, if I'm looking at your website, it's like, shit, am I going to be worried about the, like, ashes stuff is going to creep into like what I'm doing. And then I'm going to be like, ah, oh, crap. It permeates. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, no, it, and it then, doesn't and, evolve in a, no, in a it's, and it's a good thing. It's a good yeah. thing too, because it goes back to like the education thing, um, of, uh, like what, what Andrew said of, uh, you know, if I, if I took your, your, your main, your main title design class and it's like, I'm going to learn a bunch of stuff from you, but then, it's up to me to then take that, break it down, 
and say, I'm going to cherry pick all the good parts about it. And then yeah. I'm going to evolve into that thing. Exactly. And it's just, it's you're a supposed to be better than me by the time you're done with it or as you evolve <laughs> in certain ways, you know, if I've done my job right, you've gone and taken it to another level and then teach right. me something. That's how the cycle is intended to be made. That's why I think like deep down, I'm like, ah, oh, teaching's the best. Cause I'm just, I'm learning, you know, always. Well, you know? it's, it's, I'd say I've, you know, I've, been lucky enough to to teach too you know i've done stuff at uh teaching at nyu cata and um you know i i was part of uh fx phd early on and i i taught a class for them too and it was like it, it all of that gave me the utmost respect for teachers in general yeah um, it's like yeah. i used to give my teachers so much shit in school because it's easy <laughs> and then yeah. i was just like holy shit writing yeah. a syllabus like oh yeah <laughs> dude, like I, I had to do grades for for nyu but i was like not only it's just like sh structuring it it's like it, it takes a lot to know how to teach and not everybody can teach it is not no, easy yeah, yeah it's, it's even recording like and and from the website of it is recording a class like the first class I ever recorded that went out on on the net, I I, I want to say I, I took like close to a hundred takes <laughs> of trying to record it, and I was yeah. like, "How the fuck do these guys do this?" Yeah, it's so tough. My first class was such a nightmare to make. I was like, "Oh man, <laughs> it's so I was much just work." Doing yeah. it, I've gotten a then, lot used to it now because we we at Learn Squared like we we yeah. are constantly like, we we build classes with our friends and, and fellow instructors. So like I basically am making these classes with them. Like Michael's mate, um, like production, like his classes is just like making it was, was great fun. And also a lot of work and a lot of time. It's like months and months of work before even recording starts. Cause you're just wanting to make sure that like what you're teaching, what you're putting the effort towards doesn't already exist necessarily. Or like, mm -hmm. what's the edge? Like, why would somebody spend their hard-earned money to pay for something like this? Like, finding that value for somebody, like the average amount of people, but not alienating people. It's just so hard, you know, making those choices is, is really difficult. But it's, at the same time, like, that's what makes it fun, you know? So, yeah. yeah teaching is, is really it, difficult. Yeah, and it's like, and obviously there's there's tons of free tutorials and then um you That's know what a yeah. yeah and then what what happens as soon as you put something out there either someone torrents it or someone sure. does it and then they just put it on there they yeah. do the basically the same tutorial on youtube or vimeo um and, and we come back to the whole thing as soon as you put something up it's not you know it's, it's just kind of yours yeah i think that's why i taught also in my classes i really wanted to focus on like um not how it's more about why you know yeah that, that's you the can't, key thing you can't touch the decision. that shit you can't you know like the why comes from years of me being me and my intuition i can't yeah. teach you that but like what i can teach you is like how to think for yourself you know to question things and uh i think that's a very it's a it's a difficult thing to teach though because it's not as easy as like hey here's a plug-in and push this button that one that one does this that's that's the button pushing stuff, which we have that too, but it's also really important to know why. That's the the bad thing. My sister just graduated from a uh, um, college in Florida that basically 
did that same thing. And, uh, when, when she would tell me like what the teachers, um, at the school would have her do was like, it was, it was like a teacher would come in and be like, uh, yeah, go through this Linda course. And when you're <laughs> done with it, take a screen capture of, uh, wow. that you completed the course and oh. you fulfilled the they? thing. And I'm like, Oh man, that's dirty. Yeah. And this is a pretty, this is a pretty big school and, or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For profit. And, uh, you know, I was like, Oh, well, tell me who your professor is. Let me, let me, let me look them up yeah. for the, for the different things that she did because she was doing illustration and she was taking motion graphics courses. And obviously she was kind of, you know, as m my mom's like, Oh, she's following in your footsteps. And I'm like, um, I look these people up and some of them were like graduates from the same school that never actually went out and worked and just kind of came back in the thing. And I'm like, yeah. man, these people are probably just, they They're weren't amateur they students being, still. Yeah. They weren't, they weren't being prepared for getting a real job and being taught the skills, you know, like what you had just mentioned of, of the button pushing will only get you so far. Yeah. And if you don't know why you're pushing that button and why you're drawing that Bezier curve for whatever reasons. It's like you're creating these ill-equipped people to go after jobs that either they're not going to be ready for, or they may get, and they may get fired from them. Yeah, and exactly. It's pretty shitty. Yeah, and it is suck. it's shitty. I you, and I told her to run and put it right in their face. So, and be like, Hey, this isn't right. And you need to really think about these things better, you know, cause it's dangerous. Yeah. It, it, it for sure is. And, and lucky enough, my, I was, you know, waste of money. What a waste of money and it, time. It, dude, it was a huge, it <laughs> happens huge. to so many people. A lot of learn squared comes from that frustration of knowing people that have gone through that kind of system and just being f like disgusted by it. And like, <laughs> what the hell? You know, like, it's like, why, why? And I think a lot of it's just because like in our country, it's so romanticized to be like, okay, you go to college, you go to a brick and brick and mortar college and you sit there and you listen to somebody who's a, supposed to be a professional. when in fact, like they don't know what they're talking about. Or know? if they were, they hadn't, they hadn't worked in that particular field in like active. a yeah. decade. You need yeah. to be active in this industry, especially you have to be active. You have to know the pulse of it. You know, you know what's going on at all times because well, you have to you blink and it's design changed. trends. Yeah. 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 Design trends change. It's like I one like minute. Damn trends. I hate trends, but yeah, no, it's true though. It's good to be aware of them. I don't like trends. I don't, I, I acknowledge them, but I don't, I don't acknowledge them. That's a part of an, another part of the why. I feel like it's important to know about them yeah. somewhat, but at the same time, you know, you got to be conscious of the permeation of your subconscious when you observe and, uh, and acknowledge and, and, you know, like I, when I was uh, a younger designer and I still am very impressionable, I think it's good to be impressionable at times, but like seeing the trends and wanting to like be like, Oh, that's so cool. Or that's really hot right now or whatever. It's an instant like um, loophole that you got to be careful. You get stuck in that thing because then what you're doing is you're just becoming a sheep. It's a part of the, yeah. the cloud. But at the same time, there's different levels to it, I think, too. And it's easy for me to say at my own level at a different place in my life, you know, where my older self was like, who didn't care. Like my young starting off self was like, oh, it's cool. I just want to do that thing. 
you know, I think um, talking about action sports, there was a, one of my first projects was working on this surf film for Transworld called Tomorrow Today. Tomorrow yeah, Today? yeah, I know it. Yeah, you remember all the art, the drawings in there? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, all my art in there. Yeah. Oh, I nice. Drew, I drew all the rotoscoping because uh, <laughs> Mike, Mark Hostetter um, really wanted to do like the AHA, I think is AHA music video. Yeah, 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 the 80s music video. Yeah, and so um, God, that was so painstaking, just like learning that over like just drawing those on like the little shitty Wacom and like it's yeah. so funny the, the resolution of that time too but I, I don't I can't remember I must have drawn like 5,000 frames or something silly like that but yeah it was a learning process but to, to go back to the trends though it was like trying to change the trend but looking at the past trends and stuff it's like it's just funny you know getting lost in things and, and, and I just think it's important to acknowledge them but at the same time Anytime I see a trend, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go the other way. Or I'm going to try this thing. I'll go with it, but I'm going to deviate onto my own path, you know. And that's really important. And that's something that... It's, it's really hard, hard to when a client... Oh, that's, uh, t- that's or very Or someone you're working like, with just is just this. like... Yeah. Yeah, can yeah. you do more of the same? And it's like, yeah. you get the ones that are like... If, if, that are open to let you show them a different way. That's cool. And yeah. And them being open to it is good, but then... You know, if you're dealing with it, it, and you know it well, it, it's totally different working on a feature than it is dealing with an agency than uh, it is I don't dealing with, with agencies because it's just no thanks. Oh, yeah, dude, <laughs> I don't like middlemen and I don't like, the, <sighs> yeah, so I just, I, I, um, I'm pretty, a, a lot of that's going away though. I mean, it should, uh, I don't know why it still even exists. It's because people still work for agencies, but I mean, honestly, agencies are just middlemen. Uh, it's really well, weird. They're, yeah, there's I've, I've dealt with a lot of them in in you know a long time and yeah, I have a lot of friends they, that do that stuff too. It, it, sometimes it's just you're like okay, you're you're anticipating the the head banging on the desk type of thing, and <laughs> yeah. and, and it's it, it's also a waste of time at some points. Sometimes you just get like an awesome. Uh, agency to deal with and they have like awesome creative directors and awesome in-house people that you're just like oh i'd love to do more work with them um but unfortunately it's been flip-flop to where like a good of the percentage is like shit well why do i have to waste time to tell this producer or this other uh person involved in this of like how things uh can't get done from their initial creative decision or if they make one decision because they want to jump on a trend or they want to do something different that is going to, you know, ripple yeah. down, down the line. You'd be like, you think if, if this company has been around for a while, how would they not know that? Well, they could have a lot of turnover and they have all these new people and they could have gotten uh, taught at a uh, full sale. <laughs> get the, the proper, the yeah. proper, uh, you know, the proper education, but, um, yeah. And it, and it's hit or miss. I mean, it is, yeah. you can get the same thing in features. It's like, it is, it is, it's people and your willingness to deal with those kind of people and, and how much you're willing to, and, and to find them, I'd say a good, you know, the couple, um, it's all about triggers, you know, finding those triggers and hearing like when I'm on a creative call or something, when somebody's, uh, 
um, if they're wanting to lead me, but they don't have articulation, it, it drives me nuts. Like, yeah. it's like, they're like, well, just make it more organic or something. Like, ah, oh, there's like there's certain keywords. I'm like, what the hell? Uh, you're you know? like, what, how do you even define organic? It's like, yeah, I can throw a bunch of Thanks. dirt on it. <laughs> but as long as they're okay with me doing my thing. But the one thing I will say is like, it's really good to do self-reflection on this kind of stuff because oftentimes let's say like, let's go to, I'm going to a restaurant. I'm a creature of habit. So if I eat something that I really like from a restaurant that I really like, I'll continue eating that for years i don't care that's oh, just what i like same same way it's so like, i can't blame clients and people if they see like oh ash you do this one thing and we like that can you just do that again uh-huh. it's like i get that i'm just not super pumped on it you know it's like i get why you want me to do it but i'm just not it's 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 like i i, I do my best to go like okay i know you like this but can i try a little bit uh-huh. of like this over here just so we can keep so I can evolve a little bit with you. And most of the time it's all about communication again. I think it's really key. And you know, it's so funny the other day I was, I was conversing with um, a friend of mine and I was thinking like, um, there's, I could, there's, there's two ways. I mean, there's some, there are multitude of ways you can communicate to somebody to get something done. And it was funny because I was figuring out, Oh, you know, if I were to switch my words of the way I said that and in the tone I said it, I could have got totally different result or response, you know, but how you communicate. And I think learning to communicate, that's why a lot of agencies still do exist because I think there's a lot of really talented communicators out there that are really good at conversing with that high level people at those companies that feel that they need a massive team behind their expensive purchases, which there's, you know, branding and all that kind of stuff. Um, oh, they need to, they need handholders. I mean, hand and, holders, and that's yeah, what some agencies sell really well yeah is but they don't eat. need it though they don't i don't think they do but that's what agencies are selling they're hel- the hand holding like yeah let's go out to lunch and yeah you, you're this is great and let me smell your butt and like you know like and half the time they're subcontract like the agency sure. subcontract out anyway so it's like yeah. when you see the breakdown of money that's what really gets depressing too it's like um <sighs> i remember seeing some of that stuff where uh, some of the agencies like bills got released and stuff. And so let's take this, for example, you have your client on one side, and then you have the person that's actually doing the work, the work, work part, you know, like the creative part and the actual physical, like pushing the buttons and making things work and, and the production side of things, which are tied in one and the same in my mind. Mm-hmm. And so then you have the middlemen and you, so you see, you look at the, the, the profit margins crazy. So you have a certain type of budget, 80% of it goes to the people that were doing like the phone calls and stuff and whatever. And then the rest of it goes to like the people actually doing it. It just always blows my mind. Cause I'm like, where does That's that insane. money go and how does that money work? But it, it's, can... it's a business of, of smoke and mirrors and stuff. And oh, again, it I, totally I, is. I think it's changing significantly when you have like these islands and you have people that are out there being prolific and doing their own thing and showing that you, they can do it and run big projects and manage it themselves and stuff like, um, a lot of the times for me, when I work on things like, uh, when I work on films or something, they'll go, Oh, so are you a part of the union? I said, no. Uh, they'll say, Oh, do you, um, how does it work for you? And I'm like, I usually just like to hire like friends that I'm close with that I trust. And I only like just like a couple people. I like to work like a covert op space, like a, like a a green beret ops, you know, special ops who come in there. And I like to just be like, just me and a friend and we'll take care of your film. Like, (laughs) just trust me, you know? And I know. And it's hard to, it's hard to sell that sometimes because that's the same thing that we've been doing is basically because we just started as the, as the two of us in this, in the new studio is like, we want to go and hire our friends and we want to make cool shit. And sometimes selling that to certain 
brands, certain companies, certain people. It's all communication. It's, yeah. And it is. And it's like, you know, I, I much, I much rather do in-person yeah. meetings than like if, if at all possible, because sure. not only can they get a good read on me or us, but I could also, you know, my wife probably has better intuition than anybody I've ever met. She is like my ultimate bullshit meter. <laughs> awesome. Um, and which is bad because she can always call me on bullshit she has, too. Yeah, so. Asperger's or something. My buddy Not Anthony has. Yeah, and he's just Not super at good at the bullshit meter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and uh, that that's just something you get. Like it's it, it's a it's an acquired taste that you get over the years. Yes. Of dealing with people that are either full of shit or you get legit people. So your bullshit meter, especially working in this industry. Um, you know that the meter will go off really quick on, on something that you're like, eh, I don't really know if I want to get into this project because these people are sketchy or they don't even, it's not that they would even be sketchy, but sometimes when a uh, pitch or even a creative deck comes across and they just don't, they don't know how to make up their mind, it almost will turn into a nightmare of a project where it's just like shit this looks like it's gonna be an awesome project and then it it turns to shit not because uh it's you know you and your team's fault um or maybe even the fault of that it comes back to communication and and them also relating what it is that they want where you know i'm sure you've dealt with it too we're just deal with people that change your mind up until deadline Oh yeah. And nightmares, man. It's and a lot of it comes down to like, um, I, I've gained a lot of confidence in myself and what I do. And, and I just, you know, um, and also reading books from like George Lois and people that are like, you know, the, the leaders of their time, what they're doing mm-hmm. and just seeing like, you know, they, they, you know, they dictate. And, and I think like, if you watch like, say like a show, like chef's table, for example, I don't know if you watch that show, I really love it. But, um, you, you, you see these elite level, like, full on gnarly cooks and honestly mm-hmm. are chefs. I mean, sorry. And some of them, I mean, they all have different stories. Some are completely different, but some of them, a big part of their culture and their, their, their success comes from the idea that they they've dictated and they said what they want and they're clear about it and they weren't being dicks about it. They just were like very clear that, um, this is how I do it. This is what I do. And, and either we do it together or not. And I remember a moment when I had a, a big conversation with a massive, like a huge client, big company. Um, and I got on the phone with them and I pitched them one idea and that was the idea I wanted to do. And they were like, Oh, we usually get like three ideas from people. And I said, really, that sounds really weird because that just tells me that they're indecisive and that doesn't sound good at all. And I said, I had the confidence and I wasn't trying to be a dick. I just was like, I, this is what I want to do. And you're going to get me a hundred percent on this. If we do this, you know, and I was at the moment where I was like, I could take it or leave it, you know? And I think that and confidence then, And that's works, the thing is that know? confidence so, of, yeah. of being comfortable in your own skin to, yeah. to was, turn down jobs that are probably going to be awesome, but then saying, or pay awesome, it, you know? Like, yeah. You know, is it, yeah. it's like, I just turned down a job two weeks ago that could have brought, uh, quite a bit of, uh, attraction to the studio and to, and to us, but it just, it didn't feel right. And yeah, smart. Uh, 
at the, at the point they wanted us less involved in the creative and more involved in the technical mm. and knowing how I want to build the brand that is the studio was like, I was cool with, and I obviously I cleared it. My partner was right there with me sure. and I was just like, if we're not involved in creative, I want to walk from this and otherwise what's going to set us apart from any other person that they can go out and just hire people that can do tech, yeah. you know? No, exactly. Yeah. And you become the client's hands and not the, not the brains. And I, I like to be the, 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 the brains, you know, I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's great to be both. I had Chris Doe on, we talk a lot about, um, you know, the bricklayer or the, yeah. you know, that's a really interesting concept, you know, like, he, 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 Chris is thrives and loves to be like the front person and, and talk about the stuff and, and bring the clients together in a conduit. And also like to say like, um, I need to get him on here, but my friend, Nick Campbell, the grayscale gorilla homie. Oh yeah. Like, I know Nick. <laughs> yeah. He, he's, you know, he, he looks at himself. Like he told me his, he found his purpose is like being a conduit, like a superconductor, you know, and that's what he loves. And that's great that he found that. And he has a passion and a focus on that. Uh, and not everybody wants to do whatever else wants to do. And that's, yeah, I think that's important find, for you to find what you do well yeah. and do it. Like, that's why I'm, I don't mean to, I probably bash a lot on agencies and I'm, I apologize. There's probably some freaking amazingly beautiful people out there that work at agencies and I don't want to sound like a, a total turd. It's just, I've had really bad experiences with people and like producers in general. I'm like, I don't trust them. That's why I have my wife produce for me. And that's pretty yeah. much it. Cause I'm just like, shit, I'll just do it myself. You're getting in the way. I can send an email. It's not that hard. <laughs> you know, like get out of my way. I'm, not, I'm a control know, freak though. And so I know like, amazing yeah. producers too. It's like, yeah, I've email. met, I've, I, I've worked with some really amazing ones too, but I just couldn't even afford to, to continue working with them basically, you know, like yeah. <laughs> I like to, I think I also had a really great talk with uh, Mike Winkleman, my buddy Beeple. And he was saying like one of the biggest pieces of advice that he could give to anybody is to like find to make give yourself as much financial freedom from responsibilities because that will allow you to pick and choose the work that you do and allow you to have that personal time to have growth and do like things like he does every day is like we always he, yeah he like I flips mean, out on knowing how much money i have to make a month to just keep things going in southern california and the living the life that i live he's like man what the hell but i like stuff you know i i'm, I'm i like to enjoy our lives here you know like yeah you make the money you spend the money you save some of it you know like you continue on but um yeah it was really interesting talking with him because that was a great perspective too because if you get financial freedom man we're going up on almost on three hours <laughs> we gotta wrap this we're, baby up i just realized it, it. Yeah, I didn't I've been, even look at the time clock. <laughs> I've had so many people like, man, you guys stop making such long episodes. I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't know how to cut these off sometimes and I don't want to be rude. But yeah, we'll probably we should probably wrap it up here in a minute. Yeah. I guess probably one of the last things that we should discuss is a little bit more talking about. It's one thing I like to end the show a lot with because I think a lot of the people that listen to this are like yourself and I that are seeking questions or answers to questions that they have that are very dynamic and complex um, that's why the work life thing is a very big thing that comes up quite a bit. And this is a great place to have it. I don't think it really lives well on like forums or any other thing. I think port, I think a podcast is a really great formula for this kind of answering these kind of questions. One of the things that I usually like to leave these things with is just kind of some advice, some things that you could possibly leave a, a, your past self with, um, just to help you like, you know, fend through any of the issues that you might've ran into, you know, whether it's like time management or, you know, managing your emotions or, you know, creative vision or, you know, having courage or whatever it is. Is there, 
we talked a lot about many of those things throughout the conversation, but is there anything that you can think of as, as, as a form of advice for the people that are listening? Yeah. Well, I would, I would think of fear is, uh, I, I would say even for myself is, uh, fear has probably held me back from things in my life, both career and, and, and just personal relationships. And, um, and that, and that kind of can go hand in hand with, with confidence. So it's like, you know, if, if, if I met the younger me or even the same thing, like my son is, is basically a younger me yeah. and, uh, you know, it, the, the, the fear and the confidence and, and who knows, maybe that was, you know, kind of looking back into self is if I had a dad that was around, would yeah. I maybe have not had that a little bit of lack of confidence at times, or maybe some of the fears that I did of like Never know. questioning. So, um, you know, it's like, it's like dealing with those, uh, those, those internal battles of like not second guessing yourself. And, um, how do you do you know, that I, though? Oh yeah. That's, you know, it's at times, uh, it's, it's not the, the easiest to manage of, of, uh, you know, how we had talked about earlier of like thinking, overthinking things and getting through things where sometimes you just need to let it happen and, and, and let, let certain things take its course and know that you cannot control everything. Um, and that I've definitely learned over the years to, to let go of always being so, in control and that I've learned that that things do not come easy, but when, when you kind of let, let go a bit more, um, it's almost kind of like letting, letting the positive energy come back to you. If you're releasing the negative, then positive will come back for it. Basically you've opened up the attic, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and when you invite that, when you invite that in, I've, I've seen that, you know, <laughs> you don't have to worry as much. And, you know, sometimes when you worry too much, it, it can be, can lead to, um, your downfall at times and, oh, yeah. and downfall could be, it could be failure. It could be you, you over pitched a pitch and you didn't get a job. It could be whatever you can apply it to whatever part of your life. But that whole aspect of like being able to let go, not over worrying, uh, which leads, you know, it it has a lot to do with fear and, um, and, and a little bit of hope, you know, um, uh, a little bit of hope that things will work out. Um, okay for whatever that particular situation is. It's like sometimes bad shit happens. Sometimes amazing stuff will happen. and You just have to kind of be receptive to both of those situations. Yeah, man, that's great advice. I think that's really applicable stuff too. And I think if you're listening out there and you're dealing with this stuff, it's really easy for us to say from the cross, you know, wherever we're at, but I think it's a universal thing. And if you really take these little bits of pieces of advice for all these different episodes and apply them um, in different ways, I think it'll, and for the most part, I really think it'll benefit your life in some sort of capacity. If you can apply it properly and use it to help you in some capacity, I think it really, 
they're great tools, you know, they really are. And dealing with fear and um, acknowledging that fear and letting the fear kind of go through you and leave, I think it's really important. It's a good one, man. Fear is a good, fear can be a really good tool for, for anybody. And well, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's helped us evolve. <laughs> it's like, if we didn't have fear, we wouldn't be here, you know, like it's, yeah, we would have been eaten by dinosaurs. Yeah. Or just <laughs> anything, uh, anything and everything, you know, like fear of all kinds of different levels of fear, you know? So I think it's, it's good to have it, but it's also really good to have perspective with your fear. I think that's the key, you know, having that perspective of where that fear is coming from and where it's going and how to, um, you know, roll with it, judo, you know, judo, that thing, you know, just like let that energy kind of flow with you and kind of throw it that way, you know? So, yeah. Awesome, man. Well, dude, thank you so much. This has been a while. Yeah. We've been trying to do this for a while. So I appreciate yeah, it. We, awesome. we, we didn't even talk about any cinematography or I had all these questions about films and cameras Jeez. and all that stuff. So we, we'll have to get in that next time, but definitely. yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for the kind words and um, yeah, for being here and positive outlook and all that good stuff we got plenty of show notes tons of fun stuff for people on this one so i really appreciate it man and that concludes this week's episode big thank you to jim for coming on the show and sharing his time with us this week you can find links to the show notes for this week's episode at the collective podcast.com slash 150 along with links to our facebook twitter and itunes podcast page have an amazing day everybody go out there and be powerful be prolific peace out everyone